Hello, Americans. This is Paul Harvey. Stand by for news. On Cullendon Lane, Jacksonville, Florida, Chuck Buick finally gave up. Chuck enjoys marijuana, so he decided to accept Paul Harvey's suggestion. He gave up. He went to the phone. He called me. He ordered a bong. Bong, that's a pipe used to smoke marijuana. I want you to hear this carefully because you're thinking about a Valentine's Day present for somebody you love very much. Quote, my marijuana bong arrived Saturday, and after I opened the box, I was in shock. My eyes were locked open wide. My whole house was now a concert hall. I went to the washroom, and even from there, it sounded like a real live lady singing right outside the door. <laughs> Quote, with heat eating your ears, you're gouging out and tearing loose and pulling apart, gulping air and tasting black. Your windpipe is closing, and you've lost track of which way is out. There's a searing ember down your neck. Search, rescue, ventilate. Somebody's singed a kitten. <laughs> Quote, I'm listening to all of my old CDs again because I have never really heard them before. Now, for that Valentine's Day gift, it's not too early for you to choose a bong. If you're anything but happy with it, I'll buy it back. To locate your nearest dealer, telephone 1-800-282-BONG. <laughs> Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. It is 7 minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11 in this, the month of March, in the year of our Lord 2009. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, yet not overly ostentatious... I'm sorry, hold up. Richie, don't do it. Get a paper towel, man. What are you distracted by? Richie had an open container of Rockstar sitting on the counter. I was about to apologize for bumping it. No, no, no. wipe it up with it. Get These a paper towel. These are lotion. love of Christ. Jesus. Here's what just happened as we were beginning the program. We were playing the Paul Harvey bong thing. So Richie had this can of Rockstar sitting there, and I was about to apologize uh, for bumping it as I was moving the news file around, except it shouldn't have been sitting there in the first place, obviously. So just as we were starting the Dream Theater here at the top, I bumped Richie's Rockstar... And some of the rocks are splatters onto the counter. And I look over and I go, oh, and I kind of mouth word. I go, sorry about that. And so what do you do if you're, I don't know, working in a studio filled with $300,000 worth of electronic equipment? You clean it up. Or you would if you weren't Richie. So I look over. Here's what Richie's doing to clean up this rock star, which is an incredibly sticky and viscous beverage. I look over and Richie, instead of cleaning it up, just takes today's newspaper, the Oregonian. And just sets it on top of the rock star and then piles all the stuff on top of it. Not really cleaning it up, just hiding it by putting the newspaper on top of it. And I look over and he's just setting the newspaper there, you know, like you might set a couch over a stain on the rug. And I said, no, clean it up. What are you doing? Oh, that's on the keyboard, too. That's great. And I said, clean it up. So then he reaches for, uh, for Sarah's Puffs Kleenex, which, which are I, more expensive I... than gold and which she <laughs> needs, by the way. Which is by yesterday, but the Puffs Plus, they have the lotion in them. So, you know. All right. 
Jesus. Anywho, it is Monday, and welcome to Day 12. Thank you for coming along. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy and amusements of all varieties, ladies and germs. It is, uh, it is a great day to be alive. We are here in downtown Portland, Oregon. Thank you for joining us. 503-733-2970. If you'd like to be uh, part of today's program, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. With your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, ruminations, ponderings, newsments, whatever it is you have, 503 733 2970, Richie Bristol is standing by, really willing and able, sometimes, <laughs> pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, or the absurd. No, not at all. I'm just, he's just sort of a fascinating thing that I can't think too much about because it becomes a distraction. I'm really just sort of pondering all that is Richie Bristol. He's kind of, Richie Bristol is like one of those, um, he's like one of, I forget the actual Soviet name for it, but he's one of those Russian nesting dolls, except they're all the wrong size, and none of them fit together properly, and none of them look the same. It's, so it's like, you know, the outside is a big wooden doll, and then it's a Barbie, and then it's a, uh, you know, and then it's a Skipper doll, and then it's a Sailor Moon doll, and then it's like a tentacle porn doll, and then it's another Russian doll. And they're all just jammed together with crazy glue and string. All right. Anywho, uh, if you'd like to uh, email today, you can do that as well. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am or Richie with a T at 970.am. Here's what's coming up in today's extravaganza. We'll talk to Cena Radio correspondent Dick Uliano today. Uh, he will be uh, joining us later on in this hour. And we'll also talk to Cena Radio correspondent James Rube about Octomom. I guess they finally are going to, I guess they're going to call the child cops uh, on her uh, spongy ass. So that'll be good. So that's coming up later on today. We'll also talk to CNN radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum today uh, from New York City. Our friend Todd Tulsa sitting in uh, and providing a news for you, the people, uh, later on as the program unfolds. We also have, I think we have another, uh, another set of that Body of Lies gadget, uh, gadgetry stuff, like all the kind of spy gadget stuff from Body of Lies. I think that's coming up. Later on today as well, and uh, so forth. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Also another installment of the greatest songs ever made. And uh, we will have a Geek Watch, a Snuff Watch coming up today, and a Teacher Watch. That is all on today's Radio Horizon. It's 503-733-2970. We are joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. Hello, how are you today? <laughs> oh, boy. You sound fantastic. It just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. I finally buckled today, and I called the doctor. So I'm going to go see a doctor. Giving up, time. are you? Yeah, because you know, I, I was in bed before midnight, like, every day this weekend. I've been, like, drinking tons of fluids, getting plenty of rest, and it's just, it's not going away. You know, here's the thing about uh, when you sort of treat your when you treat your body well like that. Like if you're getting sick and you're like, I don't know, I feel like I might be on the verge of getting a cold. I think I'm going to stay home. I'm not going to go out. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to dance. I'm not going to have any fun. I'm going to stay at home and live a boring life, hoping that my immune system will recover. You know what? It's punishing me. I haven't smoked in like over a week. Exactly. And you know what? You know what happens? Here's what I, I have this theory: when you start to become sick, and then you slack off. You know, you know, at at, uh, at all all your social life, you know, you're not going out, you're you're not really, you know, you're not drinking, you're not staying up late. I think what it is is the disease senses weakness. I think that's what it is. I it's think, like, oh look at how easily you fall. Seriously, I mean, you are, I mean, you are indicating that that you are afraid of the illness, and then it senses that you are, you know, that you you are in fact not up to snuff, and then it takes that opportunity just to just to storm the keep, uh, as Tolkien would say. So I think. This is just, I'm, look, I'm not a doctor, but I'm giving you now this medical advice. I think if you feel like you are on the brink of infection of some kind, you're going to get you're gonna get the flu, you're going to get a head cold, 
Ignore all of that jazz when they get like, you got to go home and stay off your feet and get plenty of rest. Don't, don't do that. In fact, I want you to stay twice as long. I want you to drink heavily, and I want you to abuse your body with chemicals of all varieties. In fact, don't sleep at all. Because you know what it is? Then you are negotiating from a position of strength. Then you are telling the infection, no, no, no. In fact, I'm so healthy, I'm not even going to go to bed until Thursday. And by the way, I'm going to drink Jack Daniels with every meal. What do you think about that, Mr. Influenza? Huh? And then it's kind of scared off by your forthrightness and by your obvious steel uh, resolve. Oh, seriously, there's absolutely, like, I'm not getting any benefit from um, cutting the bad things out of my no. lifestyle. So why? No, that's what I'm saying. Why, Sarah? Why? Why, indeed. I All did right. buy some of that Mucinex stuff, though, and that seems to be helpful. Isn't that the cereal for old people whose bowels don't work? <laughs> no, that's Mucilix. Oh. What is, isn't Mucilix like that chunky cereal to increase regularity? I think so. All right, what is Mucinex? Mucinex, they have those really gross... Um, Commercials on TV is like the guy's like, oh, I'm Mr. Mucus. I'm gonna be here all night. Cause like, I'm Mr. Mucus. <laughs> is he like Mr. Is he like in the uh, the Mr. Man comics? Is he like Mr. Happy and Mr. We're, Smiley? We're supposed to loosen everything up, but um, that doesn't even seem to be working. No. I don't even know what's going on. Well, because does that and I can feel it like if I move my head forward. Oh, you've got a sinus infection. I know. I think I do. Yeah, because it it hurts right here. Yeah, right. Your yeah, it, behind your eyes and your forehead. Above my eyebrows. It's your face, right? It hurts in your face. It hurts in my face and it hurts in my throat. That's a sinus infection. <clears throat> that is exactly what that is. And, and and I'm not trying to be like that. I know everything. The only reason I know that is because I had one of those not too long ago. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess it's been about a year and a half, two years ago, and that was the worst. It, it was unbelievable, and it hurt. It was painful. It hurts. Like, I, if I move my head forward like that, yeah. oh, I can feel everything. Yeah, go everything shifting. Yeah. That was the time when the doctor thought it was a tumor, because she was having me do all this. She was, like, shining a light in my eyes and all this jive, and then, and then she said, when you tilt your head, does it hurt, or does it feel like something's sloshing around? And I said, yes. And she goes, oh, thank God, I thought you had a tumor. <laughs> and I was like, you don't, don't say that. Don't even, don't even say it when you're sure that it's not true. So, now, the sinus uh, thing sucks, and... I'm not trying to be Johnny Buzzkill. I'm just saying prepare yourself for the fact that even when it starts to get better, it is a gradual thing. I mean, it's it's a it's a substantial road between where you are now and feeling it 100%. Oh, great. So I'm not trying to put you in a negative state of mind. I'm just saying be be oh, embrace so that is, fact. Anything will be better than how I'm feeling right now. Yeah. It's just awful. I woke up this morning. I felt like I smoked like two packs of cigarettes because it's yeah. like my throat and my face. That's the other thing, too, is it's, you know what it is? It's like an awful roller coaster where the climb to get to the top is forever, and then the cl- and then and then it's terrifying, and then it takes forever to be done. Because it takes forever to get to the peak of it. When you're getting a sinus infection, I mean, it takes like a good seven, eight, nine, ten days before you feel like you're really in the thick of it, and then it takes about three weeks to resolve. Oh, well, at least you know what it awesome. is, though. So, are you going to the doctor today? I'm going, uh... I can't today. <laughs> this is how I prioritize my health, because uh, I have to finish reading Watchmen today, and then I have to go see uh, the movie tonight. You're adorable. All right. <laughs> so she's like, well, I have an opening today. I'm like, oh, I yeah. can't. i got to go see a superhero film. I can't do that today. I've got to finish reading a graphic novel. Good for you. Movie. Well, I mean, one has to have priorities. <laughs> got to prioritize. All right, excellent. How was your weekend then? Rather low-key? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, you and I hung out on Friday. So, I, so we can work backward here in just a moment uh, after we do this. Hello, Richie Bristol. How are you? Good. All right, fantastic. Have you cleaned up the rock star over there? Kind of. I mean, I... Yeah, that stuff is just filled with chemicals and death. Oh. Yeah, for someone who's so concerned about his health, why would you put that in your body? What are you doing? Is that that compressed air? Yeah. All right, don't go huff on that. All right. Yeah, just FYI, if I I spill a sugary drink on the counter, don't just set the newspaper on top (laughs) of it and think that that's going to solve the problem. That's going to be like, look, and I don't know who you are, you sons of bitches, but I came in the studio this morning, and it's not like the studio's ever all that tidy on Monday anyway, because pig weekenders are in here just slathering everything with grease. Um, but it was actually like someone was eating a, some large bowl of like a pasta-type meal, and they just left the bowl filled with dried-ass pasta just sitting here on the counter. 
you know, I don't mean to play uh, mom with everybody, but there is a, there's a kitchen. It's like five feet away. It's not even like you got to go upstairs. It's right there. It's on the way to the bathroom, which presumably you use at some point. Unless you're doing like a full-on Chicago Ed. Anyway. I have to admit something. If it's that bowl right there, that's yes. totally mine. Really? <laughs> Bless you. There yeah, was, that was a second bowl over here, so I think only one of them was yours. Okay, because I made uh, that stir-fry last week, and then um, I brought the bowl in, and then it disappeared, and then I, I saw it this morning as it reappeared. Well, there was two. So there, okay. was, a, so there was that one, which I will almost grant you leeway on, not because you're just our pal and on the program, and we have a long relationship, but because you were sick. So, weekenders yeah. don't have any excuse apart from being weekenders. God, being sick is so frustrating, too. I'm just, like, laying there in bed. I, I went to bed at midnight on Friday. Uh, slept from... No, yesterday, on Saturday night. But went to bed at midnight. Slept till noon. Got up for a couple hours. I'm like, okay. Fantastic. Yeah, drank, like, took some vitamins, ate some vegetables, drank a bunch of water, and then ended up napping, which I don't nap. I fell back asleep for, like, three hours. Well, can I just tell you this uh, real quickly, and then uh, I will... I had the weirdest weekend... I was telling somebody this. I was talking to Todd the Corpse last night about something, and I was giving him this sort of blow-by-blow of how my weekend went. And even by our standards, well, first of all, you know what it is? I had one of your weekends. I had a Sarah Dillon weekend where everywhere I went, there was some sort of weird craziness or some sort of some sort of insanity that was simultaneously cool but then just really kind of perplexing and surreal. So I'll get to that in a second. But there's nothing better than a nap, and here's why. Because... Somebody asked me one time, it was one of those sort of Seinfeld things of like, why is a nap always better than going to sleep at night? And it's because by definition, when you have a nap, it's because you want it, not because you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go to sleep at night because that's what you do. Well, i got to get up for work. I guess I should go to bed. When you're napping in the middle of the day, especially in the weekend, it's because you really feel like you need the sleep, and so it's infinitely more satisfying. It's like drinking um, eight glasses of water a day because it's supposed to keep you healthy and drinking a glass of water after you've been out mowing the lawn in the sun for three hours. It just becomes unbelievably, uh, unbelievably gratifying to do so. So I'm glad you did that. But let's jump backward, and I will give you the, sort of the high uh, points of my weekend, and some of them dovetail with uh, with Sarah. So on, we mentioned this last week. So on uh, Friday night, Sarah and I went to dinner at Storm and Davy's house, Storm Large and, and Davy Nipples, because we've been trying to do it forever, and. You know, nobody's schedule ever works, and Lara was actually in Provo still, and Lisa Wood was busy with something or other, so finally we're like, you know, F it. It's just Sarah and I will go, and the rest of us will all do it again at some mm-hmm. other point. So Friday night, so Sarah and I go over to Storm and Davy's place. And first of all, I mean, obviously, I mean, they just make me feel like such a little kid mm-hmm. hanging out with Storm and Davy, and I think it's the same for you because they're just so unbelievably with it. I mean, you look at Storm and you look at Davey, and especially, you know, they're, you know, they're rock stars and there's, you know, they're musicians and they're artists and they're all, you know, on stage. Especially Storm is very sort of, you know, she's got a kind of crazed persona, which is only half persona. Um, but it's not that their domestic life is is dull, far from it. It's just, it's just that they're like so together and mature and grown up and stylish, like even when they're just hanging around at home. And so we go over to Storm and Davies. And first of all, Storm made, like, the best thing I've ever had in my life from yeah. scratch. Shepherd's pie with, like, like, whipped cauliflower and, like... And, like, it was like, a, like asparagus with, like, crisp bacon crumbled over the top of it. And, like, and look, I made some multi-grain bread from scratch. It just came out of the oven. And, and then here's some ice cream made purely out of coconut and nothing else. This like, is, she made some, like, here's a coconut sorbet cocoa mix that I made. Uh, just something like I whipped amazing up. amazing cookie brownie thing. Uh, she was, it was like she was doing everything but wearing Don Draper's uh, wife's uh, sort of, you know, like her cooking apron or whatever. I mean, it was just very 50s in, in the best possible way, except in Storm and Davy, which means that you're sitting there in their living room, 
And Storm is, and I mean this in the best way, she's doing this like domestic goddess thing of like, oh, here's a little something I threw together, and it's like the best thing you've ever had in your life. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also she's Storm Large. And then, oh, also, that's Davey, you know, right there. And there's a picture of him playing in front of like 400,000 people. And here's a picture of Storm performing for the Pope. Oh, and also they're perfect. And so Sarah and I are just sitting there, and it was just the, the weirdest experience. And at one point um, on, the, on, the, on the stereo, like, we'd been talking about that band, Mr. Bungle, Mike Patton from Faith No More. You know, that's kind of one of his many projects. And Davey's like, oh, yeah, I'm good friends with Mike. I was just talking to Mike Patton the other day. And I'm like, cool. Yeah, he just you? called me, like, this morning, and we and were just having a chat. It's that thing where you look at, Sarah and I look at each other like, why are we here? We're not nearly cool enough. I certainly wasn't cool enough to be there. Oh, no, so, me So we go to Storm and Davey's uh, on Friday night for dinner. Then Sarah had a couple different things to go to, but one of those things was Aaron Duran's surprise birthday party. Which I was so afraid during the show on Friday that I was going to ruin. Like I, I, I had to get as far away from him as possible so I wouldn't ruin it. So we go to so we go to uh, Aaron Duran's surprise birthday party on Friday, and there had been this whole decoy party put together for Saturday, where every, you know Aaron thought there was a big shindig on Saturday, and really it was Friday. And the last time there was a surprise party I went to. I showed up at the same time uh, as the person whose birthday it was, and that, by the way, was Davy Nipples, actually. And they had planned a surprise party for David, like a warehouse. Like they wanted him to come oh, look at a car at somewhere. Yeah, and so you know, so Davy, you know, Davy is thinking he's going to like I don't know something else, and he's walking down the street into what is a surprise party. And of course, I get there late, so it's like I walk in at the same time as Davy. I think effectively negating the surprise, so I'm kind of the worst person ever. So I was so afraid of doing that. So it, Guardian Games is where this surprise party for Aaron Duran was. So I'm like stealthily crawling down the street and I'm parking my car like a mile away and I'm ducking into the shadows and I'm crawling on hands and knees. And then I walk into Guardian Games and I'm totally like, I think I'm there ahead of time and I don't want to ruin the surprise and I'm going to hide hide in the dark you know, corner of the store so we can jump out at Aaron and go, surprise, happy birthday. I walk in the front and I go, hey, my name is Rick Emerson. I'm here for the thing. Code word, you know, nerd. And the guy goes, yeah, they're over there. They've been here for an hour. And I look over and look, that party's just we were, raging. Oh, I know, and, and you and I got there at the same time, and we were led to believe that he was going to be dragged out of Battlestar Galactica just, so that we had some time. Such retards just totally showing up completely late. Aaron's Dude. already drunk. Best party ever. I've been here for an hour and a half. Aaron, I know. Aaron was wasted by the time we got there. Jesus. But that was the coolest thing. They're all these kids. By kids, I mean kids and adults. Playing Dungeons and Dragons And Magic everywhere. the Gathering, yeah. So um, we, we sort of Guardian Games. And we were in one little corner of the store, and Guardian Games is a, yeah, it's a D&D kind of geek nerd fantasy store. And we go in there, and there's endless card tables, and they're just filled with greasy youths uh, and their older brothers playing Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons, which Sarah had never really seen en masse before. Oh, my God. And, Sarah, and I just watched Monster Camp last week, too. And it was totally those guys. It was all the guys from, like, the live-action role-playing thing. It was all those type of guys. The lurpers. Do you remember what you said to me as soon as we walked in? We walk in. Oh, Sarah, like it was like a, a zoo? Well, that. And Sarah said, wait a minute. Is this a Dungeons and Dragons emporium? <laughs> And I said, yes, it is. And so all and you hear... And I was hear, so excited. And my friend Heather's with me. We're like, oh, my God, look at that. Look at all you see is, like, guys bent over, like, putting down, uh, like, worn Magic the Gathering cards and people rolling multi-sided die. The best part was there was some guy there of indeterminate age, I would say 18, 19, who had as his good luck charm while he was playing Magic the Gathering a My Little Pony doll with pink and purple hair. And occasionally he would just pet the doll's hair and then talk to it. Oh, my God. And then I looked over around later and he was standing in a corner kind of petting the My Little Pony. And then he slowly put it into his uh, Crown Royal bag. Totally. <laughs> and then, like, tucked it away into his backpack. I finished like, this game as a fifth-level mage. I just wanted to, like, they didn't even seem real. I just wanted to approach him and be like, hi. It's fantastic. What are you? Uh, let's see. Real quick, let's do a few other things here and then we'll take a break. Um, so we fast forward to Saturday. And the only reason I'm making everybody go step-by-step step through my weekend is it just keeps getting it more and more insane. So Friday night, dinner with Storm and Davey. Then 
Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, Aaron's birthday party. That's Friday night. Then Saturday, I had some I had some work to get to, to get done here at the station. So I come down to the station, and I'm you know typing away and doing all of my stuff. And I walk by the downstairs area, which is like where Court and Fat Boy and Big Jim and Chris Paddock are, and I hear this voice that I don't recognize, and kind of this kind of gravelly sort of you know kind of kind of guy voice. I'm like, oh, is that? And I duck in to see who it is because it's like, you know, who's here on a Saturday, and. One of the guys who works at KUFO used to work on the Leica show. Our friend uh, Art, who works here, used to be on Tom's show. He was Tom's engineer. Well, you know that Tom Leica you know, went off the air, and the, the show is on uh, on hi- hiatus for now. It's gone for now anyway. And so those guys are all kind of, you know, they're catching up on stuff. Dino, who is Tom's phone screener, actually knows Art because they used to work together. And I guess is kind of going on a road trip to catch up with some friends or whatever. So he was passing through Portland. So Dino stopped in to say hello to Art. So... I hear this voice. I'm like, hey, who's that? And he, you know, and it turns out that it's Dino from the Leica show who was stopping through Portland to hang out with Art for a bit on Saturday. And he goes, hey, I'm Dino. And I go, oh, yeah, we've talked on the phone. We've never met, you know, give my best to Tom, Gary, whatever. So I'm talking I'm talking to Dino from the Leica show who happened to be here at the station on Saturday. And he's like, hey, so I'm just here with my friend Milo. We're going to go out and we're going to go, um, you know, we're going to go do some, you know, we're going to go shop or whatever. You know, we're going to go hang out. We're going to go have lunch. And I'm doing some stuff later. I'm like, okay. And so I'm talking to Dino and his friend Milo. And then I realize his friend Milo is Milo Venemilia from Heroes, who's just sitting on the couch. Also, he was Jess on the Gilmore Girls. Also, he was Rocky Balboa's kid in Rocky Balboa. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself in the back of my head, that's so weird. Are you serious? Well, what was what I going to do? Dating Hold on, I have... or whatever? Hold on, I had to call Sarah Dillon. I mean, there was just no, because then I, you know, they were, they were on their way out. I mean, there was yeah. no, and it was, by the way, a point of pride with me that I never said, I know who you are, and you were totally on the Gilmore Girls, Milo. Um, Wait, is he the good-looking one? Yeah, they're all good-looking, yes. Yeah. Was he good-looking uh, in person? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, what am, what am I going to say? I mean, what am I going to say? No, no, no. I'm, I don't know, sir. I like chicks. He was completely hot. Are you kidding me? Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm talking to him, and, he, and he's like, hey, I'm Milo. And I'm like, hey, I'm Rick. And I totally, it, it, I, it, I did not want to be that guy. So the entire time, I didn't even, you know. I wouldn't, you know, obviously I wouldn't like it, you know, I wasn't uh, aloof or anything. I just didn't go like, and you're the guy on Heroes. Like, I just talked to him like he was a normal person, Sarah. But, um... The... Wait, aren't they filming? Didn't he... No, I think they're on they're on hiatus right okay. now. Okay. But he's got a place here, and he's got a place in Portland. And it's the best moment, though, was, like, Susan was Susan Reynolds is kind of floating through the building, and she comes in to ask somebody a question about something, and Dino's like, hey, Susan, this is my friend Milo, and whatever, and we're talking, and... You know, and and they started discussing or whatever, and he goes, "Oh, I've got a place in L.A." And he goes, "I got a, I own a place in the Pearl too." And she, I think at that, for whatever reason, hadn't recognized him at that point. She goes, "Oh, what do you do?" <laughs> so what do you do? And he goes, "I do some acting, not like I'm the guy in Heroes and Gilmore Girls. Oh, also I was in Rocky Balboa." And uh, anyway, we were all very proud of ourselves later that like we played, we played it cool. So that was, that was then. Saturday afternoon, and then Saturday night, and then I'll wrap it up here. I've only got one other thing uh, to you know, do it on the other side of the break. So then Saturday night, I guess I can reveal this now, there was an unannounced storm in the ball show. And it wasn't like a private, like some hoity thing that I got. It was, they had do, done that winter wonder ball back in December. But the During, winter, no, winter snowpocalypse. Yeah, snowpocalypse yeah. So the winter wonder ball, you know, that was a two-night event. But one of those nights, that was when the, the snow was so heavy, nobody could leave the house. And so there was a bunch of people that bought tickets. This is how cool Portland is and how great Storm and Davey are. There was a bunch of people who had tickets for the winter wonder ball and weren't able to go back in December because they couldn't leave the house. So Storm and Davey and the balls, they sent an email to everybody who had a ticket. And they're like, if you bought a ticket, here's the thing. We want to make it up. So there's going to be a, a private show. 
this is your invitation. Like, don't tell all your friends. But if you bought a ticket, here's when it's happening. Here's where the location is. Come and see us, and we're going to put a little, you know, little private show for everybody that wasn't able to make it out to Winter Wonderball but had tickets. We want to do right by everybody, which is so great. I mean, that's just they didn't have to do that, and I, you know, they uh, that was not a thing that anybody made them do. They just did it because they're because they're good people. So on Saturday, I went to that, uh, which is the you know the makeup show for Storm the Balls, where by the way Byron was there, and Byron did the thing he always does. Of introducing me to Penny Lane for the 50th time. Again? Forgetting. And, of course, Penny herself, I think it had a couple, and forgotten that she'd met me like a million times. Rick, uh, this is Penny Lane. Penny, have you met Rick Emerson? And Penny goes, no, I don't think I have. In the back of my head. Well, here we go again. Hi, Penny. I'm Rick. Byron's introduced me to you 17 times. Don't you worry about it. But from the stage, and then we'll break, Storm said the greatest thing at one point of the evening, and I'm not even going to give any context to it. Storm Large on Saturday, this show... Was giving our show. Uh, she gave. She gave our. Uh, gave us a, a little uh, a, a shout out. She gave our show a plug. Uh, she was talking about support local radio and the Rick Emerson show. And then she just said, "Rick Emerson is the Paul Stanley of vaginas." Back after this. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson. the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Oh, I should apologize, by the way. So, we started off talking about our weekends, and we got to the point of Storm and Davy, you know, dinner at Storm and Davy's, which is, you know, kind of where our weekends overlapped. And then I couldn't wait to tell you how I met uh, Jess from the Gilmore Girls. So, did you do anything else of note? Um, I had some friends over to watch The Room on Saturday. Again. Does somebody have a problem? Seriously. And because they all needed to see how awful it was, and they all agree that it's the worst movie ever. I need to... I, my dream is to have a screening of it somewhere in town and get the writer, director, producer, actor. You should do a back-to-back of that in Repo Genetic Opera. But Repo's good. Like, this is just bad, bad. And we kept quoting it all night. Uh, see, now I feel like I'm out of the cultural loop. You know what it is? I feel like this is a thing I'm going to have to watch because... It's just bubbling under, and one of these days it's going to be on, like, TMZ or Paris Hilton. You have to. It's any day. And it's so funny because there's this... What are Hollywood celebs watching these days? Our spies say it's an, a hella bad film called The Room. <laughs> the Room is so bad. And there's this one part, because it's just so poorly made. Well, and... Storm knew what it was. She's like, there's a big billboard for it on Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, it's been up there for, like, six years because this guy just had, like, an infinite amount of money. And so he had this billboard advertising the thing. Excellent. It is just the most ridiculous thing. Oh, so he does this thing where he's like, you're, you're a chicken, Mark, you're chicken. He's like, chip, chip, chip. And that is where uh, Arrested Development got the... Um, really? The ca- 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 yeah. Fantastic. So watching that, um, yeah, so Arrested Can I rent was, this movie? Can I buy it? Where would I find this You can't this Netflix movie? it. Um, I have it. It's Dave Zinn's copy. I'm sure he'll let you borrow it. Eh, Dave doesn't let me borrow it. He doesn't lend me things anymore. Oh. He lends me stuff and I never watch it and then I give it. But he lent me Wrong Turn and Wrong Turn 2. And then I had them both for like six months. And he's like, so you ever going to watch Wrong Turn? And I, uh, yeah, I'll get to it. And then I never did. And then finally I brought them back. I'm like, I'm sorry. And I just, so. And then he had let me Wet Hot American Summer, which I also never watched. And then I gave that back. Mm. So what we basically have going, Dave Zinn and I have this relationship where he gives me things. And it really is just for safekeeping, you know? It's not really to watch. Because mm. I never watch any of them. And I don't, mean to, I don't mean that in a jerky way. I just don't, I, I don't ever get around to it. Or because I'm kind of, because my brain is like a VIC-20, uh, like a Commodore VIC-20, where there's really no, no way to back up most of the information. Like, he would give me something, and I would put it on top of my DVD player, fully intending to watch it, like, wrong turn. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's got Henry Rollins. 
But then I set something on top of it. Like I put a piece of paper or something on top of it and then completely forgot it existed because I couldn't see it. And I was going to say, I'll have you over and we can watch it together, but it's also kind of softcore porny and that would be kind of weird to watch. That would together. be awkward. No. So, I, so um, I'll find my own copy, I suppose. Yes, it's probably online. You have to because it is just so terrible. Yeah. It is so terrible. Like my, half of my friends at the beginning are like, I can't even watch this. This is so bad. But then by the end of it, you can't stop watching it. It's just Don't awful. you feel like that's a thing, though, within like a couple of weeks, suddenly everybody in the Internet and everybody here will be talking about it. So we need to get you're on the ground floor. I need to get in there as well. Oh, and it's, it, it has so many quotable. Oh, man. Well, that's it. I have to. Uh, I clearly you have to, to just just so you and I can talk back and forth. So I can be like, I did not hit her. Oh, so, hi, Mark. And, and you know what I was talking about. And by talking about it here, I've ensured that they're not going to be a copy for sale anywhere. So I got to go find one online or something. All right. Well, they I'll, don't I'll even have it on Netflix. I'll, uh, I'll track it down. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to talk to CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. He'll be joining us. And uh, later on, Jim Roop, Todd Tulsis, uh, et cetera. Okay, I've got two different... These are. It's not really high concept. I have two different questions uh, that I need the answers to. I can either propose, and we'll have the audience uh, solve it, then I can move on. We can either do question number one or question number two. Sarah? Okay. Yes, uh, let's do question number two, okay. but my friend who isn't listening, apropos nothing, Kelsey just wrote, P.S., I don't know why, but I feel like I have to watch The Room again right see, now. So it's a movie that obviously everybody's, everybody needs to. But see, now, is it just, how did, you heard about it from Dave Zinn? Yes. Where did Dave Zinn hear about this movie? Um, I guess Paul, Paul Rudd in some interview was saying how it was one of his favorite movies. Well, that's how that stuff always gets started. It's like the, um, there's always some guy like a Paul Rudd type or a Judd Apatow or, or like a Eli Roth of all people who I think... I think Eli Roth was the guy who discovered the um, the shot-for-shot shot remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think he was, you know, it's always some dude in Hollywood who finds it at a garage sale or, like, it gets passed around at a party where everybody's getting stoned. And they're like, look at this, mm-hmm. which is how the South Park spirit of Christmas thing started, too. South Park was a viral sensation among kind of folks in L.A. because that was before the Internet. So it's not like you could be, not like you could be downloading it, you know, from uh, from YouTube or something. There was no YouTube. So... They would all... I lost like yeah, two hours of my life to just YouTubing things about this movie. Yeah. So, I mean, that's it's always a guy like that who discovers it and then tells people and then they tell everybody else and then it filters its way down to uh, down to us. My dream is to have some like um, to have like a night once a month to just screen terrible movies and try and get the people up from them. I would love to get Tommy Wiseau, who's the writer, director, producer. And every and it, but it would be it would be like a um, be like a crap film festival. But. But then you would have the director there to go, well, my vision for this film was to make a lasting work of indelible art. Oh, it's so uncomfortable to watch, too, because now he's trying to pitch it as it was supposed to be a quirky black comedy. Like, he's trying to say that it was intentionally poor. But clearly it was meant to be a good film, and it's just bad. But, yeah, and he's just not bright enough to be able to pull that off. All right, so the movie, okay, I'm going to write this. The movie's called The Room. The Room. All right, The Room. You heard it here, kids. You'll be talking about it in a month, but uh, if you buy it now, you can pretend that you knew about it before. Okay. All right. But, yes, let's do question number two. All right, so we're going to do question number two, which is something our audience can address. Then we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum. Then I've got a couple small things here that uh, in and of themselves aren't enough to sort of, like, I, it's just a bunch of small things that have been cropping up. Question number two, Sarah, I don't know the answer to this, but somebody asked me over the weekend, and I pledged to find out the answer. We had this guy call us, Steve, I think his name was, called us from Juneau, Alaska, and so he is listening uh, to us online from Juneau, and we made this whole pledge that, like, if you, you know, if you can get, get a 1,000 people to listen to the show... We'll fly to Juno and and we'll you know on our own dime and, and come visit come visit everybody. That's how much the Rick Emerson show cares. And we had a back and forth with him about this business that you have to fly into Juno because you can't drive into Juno. And then I got some guy who emailed me and he said that's totally untrue. He said you can absolutely drive into Juno. Quit spreading lies and fiction. So now I need the answer to this: Can you or can you not drive into Juno, Alaska? 
And I don't mean like on a snowmobile or like on some like like some futuristic Transformers thing. I mean like in a car, like my car. Can you in fact drive into Juneau, Alaska? Five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Keep in mind, I don't really care all that much. I just don't like not knowing. And somebody asked me to find out, and so now I am finding out. So please now to call five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Tell me if you can or cannot drive into Juneau, Alaska. Uh, I will read these two headlines, then we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum, then we'll answer the Juno question. Headline number one, this comes to us from NewsChannel10.com in Amarillo, Texas. Grand jury finds no evidence, semicolon, dick death investigation over. The death of an inmate at the Potter County Jail will not lead to criminal charges. A grand jury found no wrongdoing by Potter County Jail officials in the death of Michael Dick. So again, the headline, grand jury finds no evidence, Dick death investigation over. That's not nearly as good as this one from the Associated Press, Elkton, uh, Maryland. Cop makes arrest in bathroom after smelling crack. Again, from the Associated Press, Elkton, Maryland. Cop makes arrest in bathroom after smelling crack. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City. CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kassenbaum. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. Hey, wow, Rick. I'm sorry. Wait, hold on. Your phone is... Wait, your connection is bad. Hello? Hi? Hey, I can't... You you sound like you're uh, a million miles away through uh, ten walls. All right. Is this any better? No. That's great. There, there you go. No. All right, there we go. Ah, the Pilots game this weekend. Ah. Ah. Jacques. Uh-huh. All right, how are you, sir? How was your weekend? Uh, pretty good. Uh, boy, uh, we woke up today to uh, uh, a, a surprise. Have you been hearing what's been going on here weather-wise in the Northeast? I don't know. Does it involve toads or locusts? No, it does not. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, you know, we got one of these late winter storms is dumping a foot of snow on the northeast. And, uh, you know, we were just about to put away our shovels, and all of a sudden uh, we get a nor'easter. Yeah, but, I mean, you guys don't really – you're not really allowed to complain about that much, are you? Because in New York, I mean, every winter, doesn't the, doesn't it just come and devastate you guys? I mean, that's – It depends. Th- it depends. You know, we've had some very mild winters, and then we've had a few winters where, you know, we get one or two major snowstorms, but then the rest of the winter isn't so bad. But uh, this morning we woke up to this sound. Uh, this should be familiar to you guys. You know that one? I do indeed. That is the scraping of a windshield, is it not? Yes, it is. Wait, this sounds like a morning show. Do I win a prize? <laughs> That's, you actually you actually win that that sound bite that you win. Let me ask you this: Do you own a snow scraper? Uh, oh, yeah, I do. You have to hear it, definitely. See, you're supposed to hear because, it, I mean, we don't get, like, Michigan uh, winter, but you get ice on the windshield. But here's the thing. Can I, I'm just going to tell you this. I am 35 years of age, soon to be 36. I have, in fact, in my life, never owned a windshield scraper. Not even when I lived in Utah, which is a place where they get real winters. I have never owned a windshield scraper in my life, and so I always end up, every time there's, and every, you know, the, the snow falls, and you're going to the store, and, of course, they're sold out because everybody else on Earth forgot to buy one and so they, you know there's been a run on them so they're all gone so without fail what i end up doing is using like a compact disc case or something you know like i'll end up using or like a credit card you don't try the hot water uh, method where you where you come out with like you know you go to the the corner deli and ask him for you know just a uh, uh, boiling water for your you know and, and a tea bag no because i always figured that that would crack the windshield 
I don't know. I, I've heard people do that. I don't know. If, I've never tried it, so I don't know. What somebody told me, somebody said you could actually use just Windex uh, because then it, you know, it's alcohol and it melts through the uh, the ice. But that seems like a thing that can't possibly be true, and then it's going to freeze, and then you're going to be looking out like a, through a sea of viscous uh, blue ice. So I've heard that also, that you can use Windex, and it'll eventually melt through the snow. Yeah, yeah. so in any event. Well, so, so uh, this, yes. I was going to say, I, I went out, of course, you know, looking for the characters that make New York such a special place. So I interviewed this guy, and I forgot to ask his name, but, it, but just listening to him speak, uh, I don't know, maybe you could help me come up with a name for him. Uh, but uh, he was shoveling outside a, a doorman building, and I asked him, how's it going? And he was working up a real sweat, and he was, you know, it was like 20 degrees out, and he was in a sweatshirt, and <laughs> his nose was running <laughs> uncontrollably as he was shoveling. And I asked him, how's it going? And, and this was his response. Oh, I feel perfectly great. I feel very good. It's nice and fresh. How's your back? Back, no problems. No problem? No. Have you done much shoveling this winter at all? Uh, I've done a lot of shoveling, shoveling but not particularly snow. <laughs> what, the, what is going on with that guy? What is What What accent is that? Very, very thick Irish accent. But uh, I, it took me a while to realize that he was making a joke there at the end. He said he, he's done a lot of shoveling, but not, not particularly of snow, is what he said. Ah, I see. The patented Irish wit. All right, okay. The... Well, you know, but this, you know, the thing like that is when you hear that guy speaking. Do you ever do this with with, with certain accents, especially if they're coupled with maybe the, you know, uh, maybe someone who is getting up there in years? You can't quite figure if out of it's an accent or if they've just lost uh, the sufficient number of teeth, uh, and maybe have had a couple pops that morning already, and, you know, and whether it's just all coming out as a blur. Like my grandmother was like that. Later on in the evening, my grandmother would uh, get into her cups, as they say. And take out sometimes her upper teeth, sometimes her lower teeth, sometimes both, or sometimes they just get a little loose. Uh, right. And you couldn't quite figure out, like if you didn't know her, you'd think she was speaking in some sort of weird Norwegian brogue or something. It's all yeah. very strange. Yeah, um, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. All right. Well, on a day like this, I, I meant to ask you about the uh, about the economy and all that, only because I wonder, with, with like, does this does this sort of thing does it screw the stock market to some to some degree? I mean, I know so much of it's done online, but you got to get those guys who are down there like screaming and yelling and waving pieces of paper, right? Yeah, well, you know, I got to tell you, uh, they're they're out there and they're doing nothing but selling today uh, at the stock exchange. Have you taken a look at the Dow today? It's down 210 points right now to 6852. Hasn't been in this range since uh, 1997. The government announced it was going to inject another $30 billion into ailing AIG. Uh, HSBC Bank, one of the, the, the biggest bank in Europe, announced it's letting 6,100 people go, and they're going to close their lending business in the U.S. And then Warren Buffett issues this big apology letter to his shareholders for having tremendous losses this year and making some big mistakes, and everybody just started selling you know how I've been watching Citigroup stock? Yes. You know what? You know what it's down to. I thought it couldn't go any lower. Oh, it can always go lower. It, it closed on Friday at a dollar forty-one. I think mm -hmm. it's down to a dollar twenty-one a share right now. God Almighty! Well, maybe this is the. Uh, I'm not saying you should do this. Maybe this is the time to buy. Maybe this is the time where your your, your stock buying power is at its is at its apex. It is, Jesus. but you know, every time I've looked at Citigroup and said, "Boy, how much lower? It can't go any lower than this." It's gone lower. Well, let me, let me. First of all, don't even get me started on giving thirty billion dollars to AIG. Who, if I, if memory serves, those bastards that Anderson Cooper found out they were like, you know, it was right after they they came begging for money that they all gone and they got like spa and facial treatments for like four hundred grand. They were partying it up. Oh, yep. Sounds a bitches. Um, so, I mean, they're a whole separate kettle of fish. But I know the government has started taking what, like a thirty-six percent. Uh, holding a 36% uh, 
ownership or, or, or controlling uh, investment in um, you know in, in some of these banking systems. In, in Citigroup, yeah. So how does that? But I mean, how does that work with the stock then? I mean, I don't. This is what I don't understand. You know, the, the government comes in, says they're converting their preferred stock to common shares, which are where you and I, you know, are betting on right. when we buy stock at you know, the stock market. And to me, that means the government's going to do everything in their power not to let that bank fail. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, maybe there's, you know, over the long, long term that that might be a good investment. But I guess I'm alone. I don't know. God almighty. All right. Well, on that note, my friend, well, uh, I don't know, uh, stay warm and et cetera and so forth. I don't have any weather observations to make. I'm all weathered out. Um, I, I, I was going to tell you, by the way, I went to LaGuardia Airport to talk to the unfortunate stranded folks. Yes. You, you want to hear a sad story? This, this one guy has been uh, traveling for the past three days coming from Australia to New York. <laughs> and he missed, like, one flight and whatever. And then he gets to LaGuardia. He's got one more leg on his trip, an hour-and-a-half flight to Toronto. He's now been canceled on four different flights. He could have drove there from New York City in the time that he's been sitting at the airport. It's all part of the rich parade of humanity, sir. It is. All right. On that note, my friend, all right, uh, stay dry. We'll talk to you uh, probably tomorrow then. Okay, see you. Thank you, sir. Steve Cassidy. Yeah, my sister went to Boston last night or this weekend to visit her boyfriend, and she takes the Feng Wah, which is the bus between the two, and she had to leave like three hours earlier because the, this freak snowstorm was coming. God almighty. All right, we just need to underground tunnels to take us everywhere. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, can you drive to Juno? No. All right, so you're saying no, you cannot drive into Juno. You are obliged uh, to fly. All right. I, I, I would fly. Well, okay, I'm not saying, would you fly? I'm saying, <laughs> if you wanted to, is there a road that takes you into Juno? I, I couldn't tell you. I'm not familiar with that very much at all. All right. Thank you for helping. All right, there you go. <laughs> that was helpful. Maybe I should uh, Maybe I should have added the sort of addendum that you need to know what you're... You need to actually know the answer uh, before you call about it. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, can you drive into Juno? Good morning, guys. Absolutely not. There's okay. 40 miles of highway that ends in rocks and water. Well, that's really? weird. Is that is this? Uh, I don't know anything about. Is this, is this what they were talking about? That bridge to nowhere thing that we all heard about during the election. I don't even really know what that was. Yeah, that's the bridge to nowhere, and the uh, the Anchorage area keeps complaining they want to be the capital. You know, is the capital. So Anchorage keeps telling the voters it's a waste of money to get uh, right. an actual highway to the capital because who needs to go there? But right. yeah, you can take a car, but it's a three day ferry ride from like Bellingham to get up there. So you so, can't get a car there, but it takes. Three or four days. So the highway just ends, and then it's just pie. You said like 40 miles of rock, and then there's Juno. What happens at the end of the highway? Is there like a big sign, like stop, and then just nothing? Well, like the south end, uh, which is uh, uh, Taku, T A K U, uh-huh. uh, it just kind of ends in a little turnaround on the uh, on the north side. It goes to a gravel road that quickly depresses down into a. Uh, for lack of a better term, a trail and then a cliff, and you can look down to the water. That's, that's uh, so that's weird. You don't really – it's so bizarre. You don't think about a highway ending. That's like reaching the end of the Internet or something. You don't really think that it's like – you don't think that it, it has a stopping place. All right. Well, excellent. All right. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. All right. Uh, I'll do a few more. Hi. Uh, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Can you drive into Juno? Hello? Hello. Hi. Hi, Rick. Hey. Hi, Sarah. How's it going? What's Hello. up? Um, yeah. No, you can't. I used to live on a glacier in uh, Juno. You I'm lived on a sure glacier? Rick. Yeah, I lived on the glacier there. <laughs> Isn't a glacier a big piece of ice? Yeah, it's a big uh, a frozen river. What but, do you mean? Uh, you, they li- not at a house though? Uh, no, not a house. I lived in a we. Uh, the tourists will come up and uh, go on a uh, take dog mushing excursions on the glaciers. Right. 
And so we live up there, and uh, they get flown up there on a helicopter, and we take them out. But oh, I see. So you did. So you took tourists out on like sort of yeah, these kind of like weird expedition things. Yeah, up on a glacier up there. But uh, when I was trying to leave uh, to get back home, I was kind of spent all my money, and when I was trying to get out, I wanted to hitchhike out, <laughs> but I had to take a ferry um, to uh, Prince Rupert and hitchhike a thousand miles out because there's no roads in or out. So. You know, now that I think about it, I think. John Krakauer, somebody wrote about this in he in this book uh, Iger Dreams. He's the guy that wrote Into Thin Air uh, I, and Into the Wild. I think he wrote about hiking some or climbing some peak called the Devil's Thumb or something, which is like in Alaska, I think. And and I think he I think he made some observation about that that he did have to like take a ferry to some place because there was just like the roads ended or whatever. So that makes sense. You make a lot. I mean, if you're up there, do you make a lot of money sort of taking uh, tourists out on these you know these guys who want to like be weekend warriors and they want to be you know Nanook of the North for five or six days? Well, the companies definitely do. It's uh, each tourist coming on their way up. We do tours from nine o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock at night. Each person coming up would be uh, paying five hundred, six hundred bucks. Wow! And it's a helicopter full of well, six people. And do they? I mean, were most of them just sort of like like spongy suburban people who really had no idea what they were doing? Yes. Yeah. And you really, really feel bad for the dogs sometimes. <laughs> you sort of you sort of hope that the opposite situation happens. Where everybody gets stranded, but this time the dogs eat the people. Yes. <laughs> nice. All right. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Cool. Well, have a good day. All right. You as well. All right. Uh, well, we got. We'll do one more here, and then we got to. Uh, we got to take a break. Hi. Uh, last call about Juno. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson show. Can you drive into Juno? Uh, beats the pants off of me. But if you're going on the Twilliger curve, we got a rollover accident happening right now. Two lanes, both directions. Whoa. Of course, I'm not laughing at the rollover accident. Both directions. Just both directions of the Terwilliger Curves are closed. So this is the Terwilliger Curves right now. I just want to clarify this. Terwilliger Curves closed. Terwilliger. Terwilliger. Uh, curves closed. Both directions right now. You are correct. Sir. All right. Both directions. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. There you go. Yeah, I wasn't uh, laughing at that, of course, when I said, can you drive in Juneau, Alaska? And the first thing is, no, but let me tell you about the Terwilliger Curves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I think it's a safe bet that no, you cannot drive into Juneau. No. Well, so, uh, so whoever it was that sent me the snarky email about that, uh, you can eat a big one. Cause, uh, that's just, uh, that's apparently not, uh, that's apparently not true, sir. So, all right. Direct your complaints elsewhere. All right. We'll take a break. Back after this with, uh, our good friend Todd Tulsus. Later on, Jim Roop. And, uh, let's see. What else have we got coming up today? We have a snuff watch coming up today. Teacher watch, geek watch. And we will also have another gadget pack. Uh, for the movie Body of Lies, including computer stash card, mini digital camera, voice recorder, doorstop alarm, and more. It's very exciting. Stay there. The Rick Emerson Show continues after this. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Speaking of uh, great headlines, so we already had, uh, we have this, we had grand jury uh, finds no evidence, dick death investigation over. Again. Well, one of those I gave you isn't such a headline, that's the whole story. And then we had uh, from Elkton, uh, Maryland, uh, courtesy of the Associated Press, Cop makes arrest in bathroom after smelling crack. Sarah has handed me these two. This one is from, uh, let's see, this is from MSNBC. This is is from the Bay Area. Oh, this is about the Oakland police chief. 
I swear to God, the, the headline just says, this is from MSNBC, by the way. The headline says, Oakland police chief thinks he smells like rotten fish. Why would he say that? What does that mean? And then it's not referenced at all in the rest of the story. You're right that there's no follow-up on this. At no point in this three-page story did they explain why he would feel that way. You're right. I just read through the entire story. and he never. That's odd. That seems like a, 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 a rather strange thing to be putting as the headline for no reason. All right, so we got that. Finally, one more here. Uh, let's see. This is from... This is from the Telegraph. Yes, this is the Telegraph, which is a, a British newspaper. This is a delayed payoff. Just two years. Get it together? Okay. I couldn't read it. <laughs> this is by Graham Patton, education editor. Just two years after they were introduced under a new admissions code. Edward Balls has suggested that lotteries were being overused by local councils and announced he had ordered a review of their impact. Mr. Balls <laughs> said that many... <laughs> Fuck up, man. Said that, said that many parents... <laughs> said that many parents... Saw admissions. Oh, I guess this is lotteries. Uh, this isn't lotteries like we know them here. This is a lottery where it's like if there's a, to decide who gets into college. So it's like a, a you know if there's a bunch of kids who are all equally qualified or have the money or whatever, then it's like they just it's like a it's like a draft basically. Mr. Balls said that many parents saw admissions lotteries, which were introduced in an attempt to break the class stranglehold on the best schools, as arbitrary and destabilizing. Let's see if it says Mr. Balls again here somewhere. Wait, yesterday. I'm just going to read all the different... I, I want to find a, 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 a Brit reading this. I want to find some British newscaster reading this story. Yesterday, Mr. Bowles said he had, he had ordered the Office of Schools Adjudicator to investigate whether lotteries were having a harmful impact. Wait, let's see. Wait, wait, wait. We welcome this U-turn by Mr. Bowles, but you have to remember it was his government that introduced these lotteries in the first place, says Nick Gibb. All right, there you go. That's it. That's all I've got. There are no further occurrences. Mr. Balls. That's his name. That name again is Mr. Balls. Hello, Todd Tulsus. Hey, hello, Rick Emerson. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thanks. Hi, Sarah X. Oh, Hi, wow. Todd. Good wow. to see you guys again. Good to see you, too. Your hair looks good. Oh, yeah. I have a hair story. Oh, this old thing? What's up with your uh, Well, first, your hair looks fine. Well, first of all, at my age, you know, I'm lucky I have any hair, to tell yeah. the truth. No, it looks good. You have a, uh, oh, it you looks have a good. stylish haircut. Oh, no, I looks, like it. It's fine now, but uh, it wasn't uh, because uh, Oscar night, I got uh, I got roped into, uh, you know, putting this black stuff on my hair because we were going to an Oscar party. Uh, Cindy and I were going to go off to this Oscar party, and I was going to dress up as the game show host from Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, right. Okay. So I put this uh, shoe polish-like substance on, on my hair, which... Uh, it was, was just uh, on your hair, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Well, that and, you know, this ridiculous goatee and, uh, you know, mustache. And all this the... wasn't one of those unfortunate Ted Danson, Whoopi Goldberg uh, uh, things, was it, it? No, it could have been. Okay. It, it almost turned oh, into that. Okay. But uh, so, you know, I got all this stuff on, of course, and then getting it off, well, that was another problem. Apparently, uh, you know, you're supposed to, you know, put it on, let it sit, and then rinse it out. Can I just say, by the way, just before you take one further step through the uh, the, the the flower patch of this story? Yeah. There's nothing I love more than when somebody is talking about having used a product over the weekend or since we last talked, and their story can, like, the run-up to the story contains the phrase, 
Well, apparently. I mean, I guess according to the directions, you're supposed to. I'm a big fan of adverbs. Yeah. So, upon for, upon uh, upon a summary inspection of the instructions later, it was revealed that I was supposed to have blank. All right. So, uh, you, so the instructions what? Yeah. After you put it on, you're supposed to let it sit for 20 minutes. Then you're supposed to, uh, you know, just do a light rinse. Well, who right? has time? And, uh, yeah, well, there is that, you know. And Cindy's going, come on, we got to go. we got to go. And so anyway, I did a light rinse on it, and now it doesn't look like black anymore. It looks like Superman's hair in the DC Comics, which is black with blue waved into it. You yeah. know how yeah. blue shiny? Yeah. yeah, it's got like blue sort of waves in it. Fantastic. Oh, this looks terrible, you know, so I had to get out a toothbrush and start running it through my hair and coloring up the places where it was blue. Well, okay, so I made it through the party and everything. Then, once you try to shampoo this stuff out, oh, no, no, no. No, you need uh, you know full blown industrial strength furniture stripper to get that stuff off your borax. Oh, that's the minimum, you yeah. know. Right, that with Clorox, you know, and then you mix the two together in some witch's brew of industrial strength chemicals, and then finally, you know, finally my hair turns to a dull quartz, you know, in color. <laughs> you know, and people are looking at me like, oh, you colored your hair blue for a reason. Didn't you? And then you look like one of those. Um, <laughs> like, hi, midlife crisis. Yeah, totally. Right. Then you look like one of those guys uh, that is using like some low rent hair coloring product that yeah. doesn't quite know how to mix it. Hey, so. Well, never mind. I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to interrupt your story. I'm going to. I'm going to make a note here about hair. I'll ask you a hair coloring question at the end. All right. So your hair is like a dull quartz. Right. And then. I mean, it looks fine now. Did you get it to handle yeah, somewhere? Exactly. Right. Cindy said, you know, wh- why don't you go to my gal? You know, she's been doing my hair. I really like it. You know, and, and I like what her hair looks like too. So oh, all right, I'll go to you know. So yeah, she had to use this. You know, uh, cosmetology school approved stuff on my hair, uh, which uh, which took the old stuff out. And uh, and uh, put my hair back to its you know normal just shabby gray color which it normally is. No, it's a it's a distinguished gray. Type. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And then you know this you know they slap some new stuff on which is uh, you know sort of a sort of a default brown. And uh, now it almost looks human at this point. Uh, people aren't staring at me as much anymore. I completely lost track of what your actual hair color is. What is your actual hair color? From oh, it's. Uh, you know, it's uh, annoyingly gray. Okay. No, 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 it looks I mean, like a dark brown with gray. It is now. Yeah. So, <laughs> wait, now, you're going to have a, an outgrowth? Oh, yeah, it was like white. I remember it was like a, a little grayer, yeah. right? Yeah, just a little bit darker than your shirt. So, <laughs> when your hair, now, as your hair grows, is this color going to be supplanted inch by hideous yes. inch by a gray? Exactly. How are you going to handle that? Well, you know, you got to go back to the same gal as I need to you, But now your gray roots are showing. Now you're going to have to just keep dyeing it forever. Yeah, until I die. All right. Well, fair enough. Dying until I die. Um, So I have uh, three things here. One is, what is the deal with actual uh, women having blue hair? Because that's the thing you always hear about is like, oh, she's a bunch of blue hair. Because they try to get uh, eliminate the brassiness. Okay. See, because I use I use purple shampoo for my blonde. I'm so confused because I was at the store a while back, and that was probably three four weeks ago. I didn't really think about it at the time, but I saw a woman whose hair actually did have it was like a a blue tint. So when you say, is that but it, but that's always older women, right? Like there's nobody like there's nobody like our age that has like blue hair. It's an old it's an old woman. Well, it's thing. like when women, you know, when you get older and like then they start to be gray, um, it can get brassy. And so if you put what does blue that mean? Rinse, like brassy means like like see how some of my blonde is kind of yellowy. Yeah. Like that that isn't really desirable. So like you want it to be as as like you know platinum as possible. Okay. All so right. if you if you put a blue tint on it, then it makes it bluer, which is why like my my shampoo that I use every day is purple. Now. Why would a woman, in other words, why would you put something blue in your hair if it's going to, or they just not know it's going to make it blue, or do they just not notice? They, I think they just don't notice. Cause I, I think mean, they, they, they use too much of a blue rinse. That's the thing, because you, you hear that phrase, well, it's just a bunch of blue hairs, which means old people. Um, 
but you don't really ever see it. But I, like it was at Safeway, like three or four weeks ago, there was a woman in front of me who I would guess is in her sixties who had hair was blue, and I mean, you know, like like not like fire you're not fire blue, but you know, like shocking blue. But I mean, clearly there was a blue tint. So I wonder if that's the thing where she did the home dye, and then just she either didn't know because presumably you would do something about that, or maybe nobody told her, or she just she just hasn't quite picked up on it yet. I do have some personal experience with this. You know, my mom, who lived to be, you know, a ripe old age of 92, uh, I think her senses start getting desensitized as she got older. Her sense of smell, maybe her eyesight, perhaps her hearing, certainly her sense of smell, because she splashed on this perfume so hard. Uh, you know, and, and then, you know, she walked into her room and, and left like a, you know, a plume of, of, of toxic gas behind right. her, you right. know. And uh, so that was, you know, so I just sort of think they're desensitized to things like that, including color. Well, I got two things, uh, two more things to say, and then we'll then we'll uh, start the uh, the actual news here. But one, I look forward to being an old person so I can do things like that with impunity. Because who knows? I mean, maybe she had blue hair and she's like, F it, I'm 80. I got blue hair. What are you going to do, sunny boy? I mean, she, you know. Like maybe the thing with your mom. If she's like, I'm wearing lots of perfume, what of it? What are you going to do? By the way, and this is a great joke, you know, I just wish I could remember all the one-liners from my mom who just, you know, who laid them off, who laid them out there, you know, with such impunity. I think um, Cindy asked her what, uh, one time, uh, what is your favorite perfume, Lucille? And she goes, oh, whatever comes in the magazines. <laughs> And there's rubbing a copy of Vogue under her chin. You know, little, you know, those little, uh, you know, pieces of paper in there with some scent totally. on it. She goes, yeah, just, you know, whatever's in a magazine. Excellent. Uh, so, yeah, I look forward to being an old person, though, so I can just do any of those things. You know what I mean? Like, maybe I'll be stylish, maybe I won't. But you know what? Whatever I do, it's going to be fine. And nobody's going to give me any lip about it. And if they do, I won't care. A <laughs> uh, couple other things. One. That reminds me when you're talking about your your mother would come into a room and just leave this trail of perfume, you know, behind there. I don't know who it was, and I really don't. I have my dark suspicions. I don't know who it was. I walked into my office the other day, and I have this office down here that's on this floor now. And I left it. You know, the door was open because I was, I don't know, gone to the kitchen or the bathroom or something. And I went into my office, and clearly somebody, I don't mean had gone into my office like in some nefarious way, but I mean somebody had, I think they're probably looking for me or whatever. I'd uh, left my office for like five minutes. I came back, and clearly someone had walked into my office and left. But boy, just the just the stink of cologne that was st- that was oh, still cologne. there. Yeah. Oh, I hate it when it's just the stink of people when someone no. has like a people smell. No, no, no. This was like this was the, this was like a cologne smell. Like someone had just uh, you know they'd used half the bottle that morning. Hey, wait, I'll pay a visit to Rick Emerson. And then they apparently hung out of my office for two or three minutes waiting for me to come back, and I didn't, so they left. So I walk into my office, it's, you know, and it's like it's it's like the inside of a Woolworths is tipped over, just sort of a. Oh God. <laughs> and then we said, you know, it's a salesperson too. That's when you know it's an AE. You know, somebody who's just decided, to, you know, I'm going to wear the smell of success. And by success, I mean this gasoline-style cologne that I purchased for $1.99. Um, what's it called? New York Nights? Oh, it sounds wonderful. <laughs> I'd put on the whole bottle. So that final point, your story about dealing with your hair and having the hairdresser thing, it's, I'm still waiting on my, and I do have a point here, I'm still waiting on my uh, my magic shave from our friend Keelan because I'm always complaining about having to shave, how I just hate, you know, you take the blade and scrape it up your face. And our friend Keelan is sending me some magic shave, which is a facial hair care product for uh, today's stylish black man. Well, you put it on your face, you wait for it to solidify, and then you kind of chisel it off. And then I guess your facial hair comes with it, and I guess you're smooth for, like, for however long. But apparently there's some sort of burning sensation that accompanies it. And that reminds me, it's, um, it's like I've seen in Malcolm X early on when he's, you know... Uh, you know when he's trying to trying to straighten his hair or whatever, and uh, his friend uh, Shorty Spike Lee is like putting the putting the hair straightening product you know on then Malcolm Little, but he's sitting there and Shorty's putting the hair straightening thing on and he's like, 
All right, Red, now you're going to feel a little bit of a, uh, you're going to feel a little bit of something. You're going to feel a little bit of a burn, and it just starts, like, like, eating into his scalp, and then he realizes that all the water has been turned off for some reason, so he has no way to wash it off. So I just anticipate, by the way, just large sections of my skin uh, being burned away when I use the magic shave. The, um, <laughs> that leads me to our final note about hair, because, Todd, when you came in, you said you had a hair story. Yeah. So I got my hair cut yesterday for no reason. So I get my hair cut. The woman who was cut, and by the way, I'm real happy with my haircut. looks fine. looks great. It's a great haircut because you can't really tell I had it done, which is the mark of a good haircut. That is a good haircut. Yeah, I can't tell. I'm sitting there yesterday in the chair getting my haircut, and the woman behind me, first of all, it was distracting because she looked just like Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, and, and Maggie Gyllenhaal in secretary. So I just kept kind of looking up her going, ah, it's weird. But then you don't want to say anything because you know that everybody probably goes, uh, do you know, have you seen that movie Dark Knight? You kind of look, you, you look like that Maggie uh, Gyllenhaal girl. So I didn't say anything about it. But as the woman is cutting my hair yesterday, there's because I don't talk to the hair person. It's not like I'm trying to be. I just don't. I don't. I'm not good at small talk. I'm no good at it. So when I sit there in the chair and I'm getting my hair cut, you know, I like to think that my silence speaks volumes. And what my silence says is, I don't want to have small talk with the person cutting my hair. Can we just can we just cut the hair and you know and we won't pretend that we care about each other's social schedules or whatever. So there's these long periods of silence, and then out of the blue. The woman who's cutting my hair actually just says, for no reason, as she's stepping away, she's just in there and she suddenly says, I really want to get my picture taken in a field with a bunch of horses running in the background and my hair blowing. I think it'd be pretty. The girl cutting your hair said Yeah, that? she just said it for no reason. And like, not to be kooky, like you could tell it was something she really been thinking about. But keep in mind, it wasn't like I hadn't said, so how do you like your hair done? How would you like a photograph taken? She's cutting my hair and she just goes... It was so weird, I wrote it down word for word. Cutting my hair, long silence, and then... I really want to get my picture taken in a field with a bunch of horses running in the background. And my hair blowing. I just think it'd be pretty. And then she just like went back to snipping, and I went... Oh, look at okay. those scissors too close to my neck, crazy person. Seriously. Um, right. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go to the news desk. Shall we? And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Oh, that's my cue. Hello, Todd Tulsa. Hello. All right. Hello, Rick Emerson. Hello, Sarah X. Dillon. Good morning. Good afternoon, everybody. A massive late winter snowstorm pummeled the Northeast uh, today, grounding hundreds of flights, causing spinouts, delaying trains and buses, closing schools for hundreds of thousands of children from South Carolina to New Hampshire. Just a day earlier, the same storm hammered the Southeast and uh, made its way north, blanketing Civil War statues and canceling hundreds of church services around the region. You know what's causing that is global warming, Todd. That's what they say. Mm-hmm. By Monday, the storm had moved as far north as New Hampshire. Most of the areas in the storm's wake were expected to see 8 to 12 inches of accumulation. On the stock market, the Dow Jones Industrial Averages are at their lowest point in 11 years. Meanwhile, the fat cats at American International Group, AIG, are at it again. They're begging for another bailout, this time to the tune of $30 billion after posting a quarterly loss of $62 billion. Simple math reveals this may not be enough. It's time for beatings. That's it. Right now. I'm just, I'm, I'm just laying it out there. Public floggings no, I mean, really. for CEOs. $30 billion. Didn't, we, and weren't they, didn't they get part of the $700 billion, the first bailout? This is the fourth time the government has stepped in to prop up this long-suffering insurance giant, which has financial ties to almost every major financial institution Wait, so what in were the, the world. So I know that there was the initial bailout. Yes. I mean, it's so telling. We can't even keep track of the bailouts now. Exactly. There was that $750 billion bailout. Remember when there was all that debate about that, too? Should we do it? Should we not do it? I don't know. And then now apparently we're just handing out money willy-nilly. But So there was that. 
And then now there's this $30 billion. What were the other two between the first one and this one? Hundreds of billions. That's great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Now they're saying, hey, we're only asking for $30 billion more. Ah, seriously. Just, just a little bit. It's time for just a savage, prolonged beating of somebody at that company. I mean, it's just, they're really... I, mean, it's, I don't understand how this can keep happening. I, I mean, I guess this is where I'm supposed to say something pithy and whatever, but I, I have no, like... I have no response to that. You know, Tom I, Hartman likes to call this failing upwards. Well, you know, where a guy runs a company into the ground and is promoted. I doing so. there is that thing. There's that thing, the Peter Principle, which is a, a, a sort of it was a book, I believe, and it was a, it was a management. It was a system of managerial principles that came out, I believe, in the 50s or the 60s, it's called the Peter Principle. And I think the guy, the guy who Peter Principle, haha. But the guy who wrote it, his name was like Phil Peter or something. And um, but um, the Peter Principle basically said. This guy, uh, da, 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 Peter, wrote this book, and he said that he coined the phrase, your level of incompetence. And what the Peter Principle said was that every time you did a job without effing it up, you would be promoted slightly and given more responsibility. And if you did that job without making a mistake, you would then be given more responsibility. And he said that the logical end of that, you know, the logical conclusion, therefore, always was that you would eventually be promoted into a job that was beyond your abilities. And that was your level of incompetence, that every time you did something correctly, they'd give you more responsibility. Right. So it stands to reason that at the end of that, you will inevitably reach a point where they give you more than you can do, and you will fail. You will fail. But, but see, but that, and it used to be at that point, they'd say, mm, let's put you back at the last job you were doing before you started to make a disaster of everything. Now, not so much. Now we just, uh, you know, now Rick Emerson just bends over for the big financial rogering from some guy. No glove at that. So, I mean, seriously. Good God almighty. All right, well. What can you do, Todd? Public flogging. That's which is, seriously, like, just just a big savage beating the... in the face with something spiky. $30 billion. Good God. On a related bailout note, while the government has already bailed out financial monstrosity Citibank to the tune of over $300 billion, did anyone notice the Citibank NASCAR race car driving around the Shelby 427 NASCAR race in Las Vegas yesterday? Yes, Vancouver native Greg Biffle drives the city financial car. Came in fourth place, by the way. Why this company gets one more dime of government assistance, I will never. Well, was it Citigroup that owns? Uh, was it? It wasn't Wrigley Field. I guess Wrigley Field doesn't even exist anymore. It was like, the, but it was one of those like Staples Center type places. I forget exactly where it was. Now. Maybe it was some sports arena. And I do believe I may be wrong about this, but I think it was Citigroup that had paid. They put down like twenty billion dollars or something to be naming this field for yeah. the next fifteen years. Yeah. And somebody's like, "Well, could you cut? Could you cut expenses here? Like, how about this football field that you're naming? No, no, no. We can't get rid of that." I mean, because all of these, uh, the AIG and City uh, Group, and all of these companies are like Steve Martin in a jerk, you know, as they're walking out of the house. I only need this one thing, and then this, and then these, this facial and massage trip for our employees, and then also naming this football field and this private jet. And I don't need one more thing, except for this trip to Mazatlan for our board of directors. <laughs> That's it, you know. Did I mention the beatings? The long, savage, bloody, pounding beatings? I'm just saying, I want to keep that idea out there. I don't want us to dismiss it outright. Here's Todd Tolson. Have you seen today's Oregonian? Is it going to make me angry? Is it going to involve somebody stealing from me? Not exactly. You still have to pay for the paper, so no one's stealing here. But today's Oregonian has the look of recession printed all over it. It's not just the news stories, but Section B, commonly known as the Metro Section, has been merged into Section A, the front page section of the paper. 
Now, although there's no shortage of bad news to print, the Oregonian has to justify how much newspaper to use against declining advertising inside the paper. They should just put out the same paper a couple of days in a row and see if anybody notices. See if anybody, uh, see, if anybody see if anybody picks up on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, because just, everybody, you know, it's like everybody recycles their newspapers. They, you know, scan it, read it, throw it in the uh, recycling bins. You know, maybe no one would know. The metro section, formerly section B, can be found on section A8 today, and the sports section has now taken over section B. I, wait, so we've kept the sports section. I'm just trying to keep track. Right. Kept the sports section. Right. But the metro section is no more. The metro section has been merged into section A. Wait, so, but it's, so it's not just a separate section like it is fewer pages. In other words, section A, the same number of pages is now split between, like, national news and metro news. That's right. Ah, okay. That's right. You know, All I right. picked up the Oregonian on my way in today. I thought I picked up a pamphlet by accident. And <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me, I seem to have picked up a brochure from the <laughs> right. stack. I, uh... What is this leaflet? Oh, I see. Oh, uh, it's today's paper. I see. They ought to just, they, you know, I, I get, the headline should just be like, come on, come on, come on, I got a family. Have a heart. <laughs> All right. Anyway, well, I'll have to go. Now, see, now, is that is that today's Oregonian right there? Um, yes. All right. See, now I actually, ironically enough, now I want to go pick up an Oregonian. When's the last time you said that? Well, uh, it's not very heavy. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. This is the, wow. That is not all. This oh. just feels like the ads section. This is light. Yes. All right. Hold it on. is light. Looking here. Oh, that ain't good. All right. Let's see. Sport. Wow, that's bizarre. It goes. It's weird. I mean, look. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean to sound overly, overly snarky about the Oregonian. I mean, we got a lot of friends. Many of my best friends uh, work, work at the, the Oregonian. Uh, or did. Uh, or do today, as of now. Um, at 12:29. But. You know, I mean, look at it. Financial realities are just financial realities. I mean, it's a, you know, as they say in the wire, where everybody's doing more with less. So, but it is weird when. You think about how you, 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 the newspaper is, you know, such a part of your life for so long, and you become acclimated to the way it's laid out. In other words, just, you know, USA Today. It is, you pick up a USA Today, and it's national, purple section, green section, blue. That's, I mean, you know, sometimes, depending on who's got that before, you can be arranged differently. But, I mean, you know, with the Oregonian, front page, metro, sports, finances, you know, whatever. And now you go right from the, uh, you go right from this to the sports. It's just weird how a small thing like that can actually be be a little strange. And by the way, I don't think I'm imagining this. I think the print is getting bigger, too. I think they're actually making the type bigger. And the headlines have become huge. And I don't think I'm just uh, projecting all of this. I think they're doing the best they can to, like, fill to fill pages here. All right. Well, in any event. Oh, and then I'm looking here at the uh, the front of the How We Live section. Right. Formerly Living. Like, what? what is that? Changing living to how we live. Was that some guy in a staff meeting going, no, 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 I found the key to our financial, uh, our financial security. Well, that's like when they paid somebody a million bucks to change it from Coin 6 News to Coin News 6. Are you kidding me? I kid you not. I, I thought about that every day when I worked there. They had a consultant come in and be like, how can we re-image the station? And they just flipped Let's... 6 and News. Why don't we take these words and rearrange them slightly? That'll fix everything. And now they flipped it again. Now it's Coin Local 6. Oh, boy. So Have I mentioned the Beatles? Someone else got a million dollars. <laughs> I'm saying maybe not. Maybe you know. Maybe it wouldn't even need to be a prolonged beating if it was hard enough. Uh, all right. And it's coin local six. That's now? what it is now. Here's the thing. Like taken. I mean, I understand it's a positioning statement or you know a station identifier. But taken as a sentence, that's just gibberish. Coin local six. I mean, that's you know what it is. That's like a seven Mary three thing. That's what like coin news <laughs> six or coin six. Yeah, it was Coin News 6, and that always sounded so awkward to me, too. Coin Local 6, doesn't it suddenly sound like you're summoning Ponch and John on the uh, on the chips radio? <laughs> Calling Coin Local 6, Coin Local 6, we have a 5150 in progress at the corner of uh, you know, Tropicana and 5th. Coin Local 6, 7 Mary 3. All right. Well, in any event, uh, by the way, there's an article here on the, the front of the How We Live, not living, 
No, 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 no. It's not the living section. <laughs> Some other marketing genius came up with that. I guess living maybe just denotes, like, existing. You know what I mean? Well... I'm living, you know, which is like what your grandmother uh, says when you go to visit her at the home or something. How is it? Well, I'm still here. This is how we live. Um, the uh, the big story here is, will the... Here's somebody trying to create a phrase, by the way, and that somebody is Barry Johnson. Here's somebody creating a phrase and hoping everybody will uh, start using it. Will the Coraline economy save Portland's neck? But the answer to that is no. You don't even need to read the article. No. You know, I think you're on to something. Uh, you just mentioned something a moment ago in passing, and we have morphed from the living section to how we live. Right. But in these tough times, maybe it should be renamed existing. Yes, yeah, so really getting by. <laughs> getting by. <laughs> you know, That's a great along. idea. That's a really good scraping idea. along. There you go. Achieving, <laughs> achieving the bare minimum. Now in the Oregonian. And it'd be like with a big banner on front of the newspaper box, like right next to the Canzano thing. All right. Scraping along. That's the new B section. <laughs> right. We should. This is a genius. Okay, Todd Tulsis came up with that. That's not my idea. We should totally create a. I wish it was, but it's not. We should totally create an urban legend that the uh, Oregonian's going to start a new section called Scraping Along. Right. <laughs> getting by. Barely getting by. Good God. Right. And on Sundays, it'll be barely getting by. Oh, all right. Let's see. Um, we want to get this one call, then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, for once in four years, I have a chance to correct you. Yes. So I'm going to go for it. Uh, Wrigley Field is very much still around, home of the Chicago Cubs for 86 years. Now, is it still called Wrigley Field? Absolutely. I thought they, there was a big scandal because they wanted to rename it. Maybe that didn't happen then. Okay, excellent. Uh, they were considering it. The Tribune Company, which owns the Cubs and Wrigley Field, is selling it to Sam's Nell. Ah, okay. And through part of that, they may consider a corporate sponsorship. But uh, the Citigroup Field is the New York Mets new stadium that's, that's replaced... It. Replacing oh, Shea Stadium. There you go. That's what it is. And, yeah, and so they would pay, like, some $20 billion thing for, you know, a multi-decade uh, deal, and they were like, well, what about this? Could you get rid of this? No, 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 that's crucial. We can't get that. So We have to have that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Tim Riley is gone. Thank you, my mm-hmm. friend. Yes, All he right. is. There you go. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. More after this, ladies and germs. Uh, coming up later on, we also have a snuff watch. We should actually do that when we get back. Let's see. Geek Watch coming up later on. Jim Roop and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Just now, uh, Todd Tolson has made a comment that the uh, print is, uh, the typeface is very small on a story he was handed. He said, well, this is very small. And, uh, and it is. I need an electron microscope to read this. I just... Hang on, hang I on, forget, I'll be right back. forget exactly what Sarah said, but Sarah said, I'll find you a different copy of the story. And Todd said, no, 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 it's okay. And Sarah immediately came back with, no, 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 Mr. Whiny, I'll find it. <laughs> and I think she said, yeah, I'll print it out in old man format or something yeah. so you can read it. Thanks That's a lot. The, the patented uh, Sarah Dillon uh, oh, went right there. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. 503-733-2970. I can read it. 733-2970. By the way, uh, that's a good opportunity to talk about this. Uh, this is an email we got. Rick. I remember hearing last week you and Don Taylor 
discussing... What, did she print it on, like, 100-point type? Good for you. Well, you don't want to be in trouble with that. <laughs> Who needs glasses? It's like the Reader's Digest large print edition. Uh, <laughs> you damn kids. Uh, so I remember last week you and Don Taylor discussing two documentaries you'd watched. What were they? Could you tell me? Love the show, Dan in Olympia. Uh, they were Monster Camp, which Sarah Dillon has subsequently watched. I don't know if Don had seen that or not, but Monster Camp is fantastic. You you really ought to, you ought to see that. The other one was a great documentary called Helvetica, which is, speaking of fonts, is just one of the best documentaries I have seen in forever. Mm-hmm. It's just It's just amazing, and it's not... And the thing is, and it's not like pretentious and, and dull and navel-gazing the way you think it would be. It is, no lie, it is a 90-minute documentary all about the Helvetica font. And, like, when I first heard about it, I'm like, well, what do you mean? That's, that's insane. How could you have a 90-minute documentary about a font? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and it's the point that, like, you think, well, okay, maybe maybe it's not really a documentary about the Helvetica font. Maybe it's a documentary about... Like, they're using that font as a microcosm of something or other, about the evolution of design or about uh, the, you know, the way that aesthetics sort of change over time. And they talk about some of that stuff, but really, it's, no, it's really a 90-minute documentary about the creation, style, implementation of, and thoughts on the Helvetica font. And it's unbelievable. fascinating. You've got to see it. It's so good. Um, yeah, Heather has it in her Netflix. Netflix. We just got kind of distracted by the room this weekend, so no. It's it's great. It's it's gripping. And then uh, you know, the, of course, the, the thing is, obviously, after seeing it, then you notice the Helvetica font everywhere, which, and then you realize, like how astounding it is. You didn't notice it everywhere before because it's used for everything. Uh, I, I told her that I saw it, and I went to take a shower, picked up my shampoo, bam, Helvetica font. So, I mean, it's right there, and you notice suddenly that it is used for everything. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, anyway, so do, do uh, yeah, why, rent that or get it. Whenever you have a chance, watch the, the documentary Helvetica. It really is quite something. All right, now uh, with larger, easier-to-read type, it's the news with Todd Tulsus. Thank you, children. Yes, well, we're doing our part to make your job <laughs> You really job did easier. say without thinking about it, you damn kids. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever read the Reader's Digest large print edition? Uh, yeah, I think it got mailed to my house or my school uh, inadvertently one day. Here's how exciting I was as a kid. Uh, I would go to the library and just check out stacks of Reader's Digests and then take them home and read them because that was into a past for uh, amusement in my home. And the only ones they would check out from the library, the library didn't stock regular Reader's Digest. The library in my hometown only stocked large print. And so as a kid, you would see me lugging around these large print. And, of course, large print means large magazines. So the things the size of, like, a car. And carrying around two issues, and it's you know it's like I'm it's like I'm bench pressing. Um, the frustrating thing about the Reader's Digest large print edition is they don't have any of the little interstitial things like the points to ponder or like the uh, or the the amusing homespun anecdote that they would put at the end of drama in real life. Uh, those were all gone. It was just the stories, which I found very disappointing. And also this, what you don't want to do if you have any sort of connection to the past, uh, if you have any sort of nostalgic uh, attachment to Reader's Digest of a, of a bygone era. Yeah. Don't pick up a new Reader's Digest because it's very disheartening. Oh. When is the last time you read Reader's Digest? Probably uh, maybe in a doctor's office 12 years ago. See, because that is the thing. Well, you want to talk about uh, a print a, a print publication that is just uh, going the way of... I mean, that, their, their, their target demo at this point is like 100 to dead. I mean, it's just there's <laughs> nobody... There's no one left to read that magazine, which I don't say with disrespect. I read it all the time growing up. But people have moved on. Uh, the time for Reader's Digest, that time has... Uh, they, they are a magazine of the past. But they're doing this embarrassing thing, and it's sad, where they're trying to get the kids to read it. And so if you pick up a Reader's Digest now, and I sound like an old guy even talking about it, but it's fascinating. If you pick up a Reader's Digest, which was a benchmark magazine for this country for a long time, whether you liked it or not, it was a very quintessentially American uh, publication. 
It doesn't even look like a Reader's Digest. It looks like the cover, first of all, looks like one of those soap opera digests where it's like big bright colors and splashy things and ten different fonts and like a one of those sunbursts that's like, you know, now 10% more recipes or whatever. And then when you read Reader's Digest, the layout is like Parade Magazine eh, where everything is like splashy pictures and colors and nothing goes on for too long and it's just boxes of, you know, of little like glib thoughts and anecdotes. There are no actual articles left anymore. It's a, it's a very strange thing. All right, here's uh, Todd Tulsus. Paul Harvey, who, uh, can, wait, should wait, we uh, do the... Is this our uh, snuff watch? Is our snuff yeah, watch? Snuff watch. All right, there you go. All right, here's your snuff watch with Todd Tulsus. Paul Harvey, who captivated millions of American listeners for almost 60 years with his down-home radio news reports and conservative commentaries delivered nationally on weekdays in a stentorian staccato, died Saturday at the Mayo Clinic Hospital near his winter home in Arizona. I love the word stentorian. I like that, too. No one ever uses it. Ah, oh, fantastic. I think the person who wote this article, or wrote this uh, news uh, newswire, he was probably a Paul Harvey fan. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, he had such a classic delivery, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, uh... Harvey lived in a Chicago suburb, and he joined ABC in 1951. In his heyday, which lasted from the 50s through the 90s, his twice-daily soapbox on the air was one of the most popular programs on radio. Audiences of as many as 22 million people tuned in on 1,300 stations to a voice that had been an American institution for as long as uh, most of us can remember. You know, the the thing about Paul Harvey is, I mean, he's just he's just one of those guys that you don't. I mean, certainly I don't because I wasn't around. But I mean, you don't you can't it, you don't remember a time when you didn't know who Paul Harvey was or heard his voice. I mean, he was his voice was omnipresent in the truest sense of the word. I mean, everybody. Knows Paul Harvey. Everybody knows the voice. Everybody knows the and now the rest of the story. Everybody, I mean, to the point that I can just do that, and everybody, even people who are like 20, know what I'm talking about. And it wasn't just the content of the stories, and it wasn't just the sound. Harvey had a he had a style that almost uh, defies description that no one else does. He would add punctuation where it had no business being. Right. He would delete it where it was absolutely necessary. Right. And pause for effect in places where you thought the bottom was going to fall out of the story or that he had you know left the room for a moment to get a sandwich or something and the and i do kind of a poor man's paul harvey sometimes without even really realizing it i you know do you ever do this well you're i mean you're a broadcasting guys so we this is a inside uh, inside uh, baseball talk here but do you ever do catch yourself you're talking on the air you're you're voicing something or you're doing whatever and you suddenly sort of hear someone else's broadcasting style in what you're doing and you realize like you get sort of an instant third person view of yourself and you realize that you were influenced by somebody that you didn't you know you like you weren't really aware of it until then i mean because i because i was i kind of was that way with paul harvey at one point i realized at a certain point that paul harvey had influenced which is not surprising i heard him very very early on maybe right. the first radio person that i ever heard on a regular basis Me now too. That I think about it and so he probably influenced all of us just in terms of delivery without us even being really consciously aware of it because my mom listened to him on radio station KONA in uh, Kennewick. Paul Harvey would be on, I don't know, whatever it was, four times a day. But the one that I remember, he was always on at noon. And you knew it was noon in Kennewick because they would, there's this, um, it's not like an air raid siren, but it's, it's like that. There's, there's a thing that sounds just like an air raid siren that they, that they, 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 uh, play, they blow the siren or whatever every, every day at noon yeah. for some reason. And, but I remember hearing that like air raid siren thing. 
And then you'd hear the stand by for news, and you'd hear, and then you'd hear the whole Paul Harvey thing. And that was every single day as a kid growing up. Because my mom had the radio on all day. I remember that the noon too. Totally. I remember that. I always knew that it was noon because Paul Harvey was on. And so that think about and then yeah. yeah. And see, but think about that. So think about all of us in this room. Uh, you know, Sarah, who is you know one you know from one demographic, and you know my you know me another, and Todd another. We're all different people, different backgrounds. But the common thread that all of us have is that we heard Paul Harvey for Jesus. I mean, and that is his heyday. And that his heyday is like forever. His heyday, which lasted forever, the entire 20th century. Mostly, you know, we think about a heyday, you think of like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld, whose heyday was from 1991 to 1999, you know, or somebody else whose heyday was from like this year to this year. Paul Harvey, whose heyday was half a century and more <laughs> until he decided it was time to quit. But, but all of us in this building probably have only Paul Harvey in common as a broadcaster. I would say that he, I would go so far as to say that Paul Harvey is probably the single most listened to American broadcaster of all time. Probably. I think so. And don't forget, and his uh, broadcast was at different times of the day. Yeah. He specifically addressed uh, agriculture issues. He gave the farm report. If you ever heard the early morning totally. Paul Harvey's, you know, the pork belly futures. Yeah. And that, you know, and all that. It was unique, entertaining, funny, made you think, made and you laugh. You know, maybe brought a tear to your eye occasionally. And he was so shameless, but in a great way that he could get away with because he had that leather-bound voice. And uh, here's another thing. Uh, this is a term that's sort of gone out the window, although I suspect that you'll be... You probably won't be hearing this term on the radio, not out loud. They won't... Probably radio people aren't going uh, to use this term openly in the future, but I suspect that you're going to... This might come into existence again. A term they used to use a lot was full-service radio. And uh, you you uh, fellow oldsters out there will remember full-service radio. Full-service radio was just what it sounded like. It was a radio station. They gave you a little bit of everything. And you get some news, some sports, a little bit of music, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, this, a little bit of that, a little bit of chat, a little bit of a few calls. And then we'd trade some things. I got a sofa. You got a shower curtain. Hey, what, 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 do you want to, what about wheat futures? Uh, what about a lost pet report? Hey, let's take a look at school lunches. Here's Perry Como. And it was just, it was like, you know what it was? It was like um, it was like Maxim magazine for old dull people. <laughs> you are describing KEX about twenty years ago. You are, oh yeah, you know, twenty years 20, ago, twenty-five years ago. Uh huh. Exactly. But they you know, had a music library at that time, you know, and uh, yeah, they ran, you know, Paul Harvey's Ag Report, you know, and they had, uh, you know, the uh, you know lost pet of the day or whatever, and, and Barney Keep and. Uh, um, Bob Swanson and, and those guys, and uh, that was a—it's a bygone era. Well, you remember, you know, like I was talking about, Matt. You pick up Maxim magazine, which whatever anybody thinks about it, whether you read it or not, great. It's a great marketing job that magazine does because you pick up Maxim. The top of the magazine is the same t is the same way every time, and I can't do it probably correctly, but it says Maxim, and then above it, it says like cars, sports, gadgets, beer, girls, music, or something. And you know, which is like that. Here, here's where we are. Here's what we talk about. Mm -hmm. And it, they try to cover all the bases for like the twenty-something guy. Um, and full-service radio is like that. But again, for like your parents, you know, or whatever. And they, the music was all kind of middle of the road standards. We used to call them or soft rock. Like uh, I remember hearing, uh, like you know that. What, what is that? The, Don't fall in love with the dreamer. Whatever the hell that song is. And then endless, endless, <laughs> endless re repetitions of music box dancer. Just always. Uh. Well, there's that sequence in Bigger Than Jesus where there's, like, the radio announcer guys talking, and then there's, like, music box dancer, because that was the song I always remember coming out of the radio around the same time Paul Harvey was on. 
And so a full service station tried to do everything. Their goal was that you never had to turn the dial because every piece of information and every bit of entertainment you needed would all be brought to you by one radio station. Again, everything from news to music to call into sports. And radio, the opinion of this broadcaster, is either going to return to that or they're going to get rid of it entirely. There's only two ways that current radio is going to go. They'll either do absolute niche casting, which is where a radio station only does one tiny little thing, right? which is TV stations are already doing that, like Sci-Fi or Bravo, which is sort of, a, in many ways, has become like a de facto. This is a network for the gay community in many ways, and they're trying to make it, I think, a little bit more of that. Uh, you know, there's Oxygen, or there's just Home and Garden TV. And so radio is either going to do that, where every station does one tiny little niche format, or you're going to get a station that tries to be full service for whatever their audience is, to provide, again, everything they need. It's a deserving middle ground. But, but we all heard Paul Harvey, just all of us. And I, and I think he probably is the only common thread broadcaster there was, because not everybody listens to Rush. You know, as much as they say, Rush Love has 20 million, but you know, there's a whole bunch of people out there who never, never don't listen to him, don't listen, wouldn't listen to me. But my wife wouldn't listen to him if you put a gun to her knees. There's just no way. <laughs> and just like there's a bunch of people out there that wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to, 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 I mean, I was going to say, I was going to say Randy Rhodes, but no one's listening yes, to her right would now anyway. Have to be, that would have to be possible first. <laughs> um, the, you know, but the people out there wouldn't listen to, to Tom Hartman or to, to whoever if you, if you, if you force them. They just, they, there's no way. But Paul Harvey, in a sort of simpler time, even though he was conservative and family values and, and as you said, fighting the commies and all that, yeah. everybody listened to him. He was, he was the, you hear that stupid thing they say in radio, which is never true, which is always a lie. It's the station everybody can, there's no station everybody can agree on. Yeah. There's one guy who, uh, like, has seniority in the office, and he picks it, and you have to pretend you like it because you don't want to get, you know, like a demerit or something. Like, you don't have to get, you don't want to get written up uh, by, like, the HR person who happens to like soft rock. So there's no station that everybody agrees on. Paul Harvey, though, was probably the only broadcaster since Walter Cronkite. Or and Walter, that was television. Or perhaps Walter Winchell. Walter Winchell. I was, I could, you could say that too. So maybe if you could, could you say only radio. Yeah. So in television, there was what? In television, there was Edward R. Murrow and there was Cronkite. Cronkite. That's it. And in radio, there was only Walter Winchell. Yes. And it's weird now that I think about it. And by the way, this is just endless discussion about the navel-gazing nature of radio, but that's just going to have to be okay with everybody on KCMD Portland. Um, that it's weird now that you would think about it. They were almost parallels of each other, right? In radio, Walter Winchell was very similar to Edward R. Murrow in some ways, in that he did a lot of what we might... Um, a lot of... Uh, he did a, but, uh, but Walter Winchell and Edward R. Murrow did a lot of things that might be considered controversial or sort of scandalous. They would report on those things. Um, and then you had, you know, but then on the other hand, you have Paul Harvey, who was much more staid, very trustworthy, though. And Walter Cronkite was like the, uh, you know, he was that equivalent on TV. But... He, but Paul Harvey was kind of the only guy in radio for the last 40 years that everyone agreed on. Interesting. Well, that's just, you know, there's, there's not going to be another guy like that. Did ever. you know? Did you know? From the department of Did You Know, Harvey was born Paul Harvey Orent. That was his last name, Orent. What kind of name is that? He dro- uh, I think it's probably French. Uh, he dropped his surname and worked as a reporter in Hawaii and joined the Army after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. He was discharged in 1944, settled in Chicago, got a job at WENR, and in '46 he became the host of a call-in program, much like uh, the Rick Emerson show, that sought work for veterans. And in '51, WENR was bought by ABC, 
and he began broadcasting news and commentary from coast to coast. I I wonder how he started that rest of the story thing because you you know I know the story about um, Casey Kasem. I know how Casey Kasem started doing his. Because Casey Kasem only, he did like a thinly veiled ripoff of the rest of the story. And don't get me wrong, I have all the respect for Casey Kasem. He's, you know, really a pioneer in some ways. He did. But Casey Kasem, when you think about it, he did sort of a, you know, like a thinly veiled cop of the rest of the story. And Kasem tells this story about, well, I was working in an army base, and I was whatever, and I was a broadcaster. But he talked about how he didn't, he was going into a break and he didn't have anything to talk about. Right. And Casey Kasem tells a story, probably fake, of finding a magazine in a trash can. And he picked it up, and it was something about, like, you know, and then I read that he had written that song while recovering in a burn unit. And I thought maybe other people would like to know that trivia about their favorite artist. And he did this thing on the air one day of, coming up, we're going to play a song written by a guy who has no arms or legs. You'll find out who he is next. And then what do you do? You sit there like an idiot by the radio. I got to know. And he's like, you don't care. You didn't care ten seconds ago. And you know what? Once he tells you, the payoff is so unsatisfying. It's Kenny Loggins. Now, on with the countdown. You're like, I... Uh, yes, that's I, not a storyteller. That's just a, a good guaranteeser. Right, totally. And then you and then you listen, you go... And it's like, just he gives you this tiny itch that you got to wait to have scratched. And then it's just like, you, you're it's so unsatisfying. But that's just a thinly veiled ripoff of the rest of the story, right? Which yes. is, And that man's name was John Kennedy. Only now you'll know. And you're just going, ah. Oh. But it's, when he does it, it's worth the payoff. You totally go like, oh, I'm so glad I know that about Chris Christopherson. I had no idea he was a Golden Gloves boxer, which is true, and I only know that from goddamn Paul Harvey. (laughs) Because there was a Paul Harvey, which I remember to this day, a restauratory, and he was also a Golden Gloves boxer. But you know him as singer-songwriter Chris Christopherson. I was at home going, that's fantastic, and I was just so captivated by it. Chris Christopherson's amazing. He really is. (laughs) But to wrap this all up again... um, and then, we'll, yeah, we'll take a break, get caught up. The thing about Paul Harvey is, I wish there was a way that we could look at our broadcasting DNA, in a sense, that we could take, like, Todd Tolson. I wish there was a way we could put your voice under a microscope and see, like, who influenced you. Like, where, like, I mean, I, I, as an imaging guy, you try to have a kind of a neutral voice sometimes, but, like, where, do you ever think about the guys in radio, that the, why you talk the way you do? Well, everybody's voice is colored in a certain way, and it's... Some of it has to do with a previous experience in radio or previous uh, perhaps influences by people, but a lot of it has to do with stuff like how much whiskey you drank in your 30s and 40s, how many cigarettes you smoked over the decades prior. So that tends to color your sound as well. But imaging people, that is the people who voice, who are the voice of the stations or are the voice of the TV stations and so on, I think those guys for the most part started out in radio because that is their sound. That is their sound. Uh, but voice actors, people who have an enormous amount of voices in their portfolio, who can come up with, um, hey, how about a nice wine punch? They're not going to get a lot of voice imaging work for Channel 6 anytime soon. Probably not. Call in Local 6 tonight at 6. Art Edwards interviews Mike, Mike Hamilton. <laughs> you should just uh, voice every possible permutation of coin and six and local and news and just send them over like, look, you'll probably need these at some point since you can switch <laughs> things around over there. <laughs> right. So, all right. Well, there you go. So, um, Paul Harvey, ladies and gentlemen, how old was he? 90. I see. I thought he was older than that. I thought good he would have been. Good for him. Like, what a good run. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, his, and he's going to hand it over to his kid, probably, who sounds just like him. So He does. And his, his, Paul Harvey Jr. is doing. Uh, Pretty darn good job. Oh, we should say, by the way, just uh, finally, uh, one of the greatest uh, 
moments, and I wasn't even there, but it was somebody else's moment. Susan Reynolds, you know, she worked in Chicago for a long time at the WLS. And Susan Reynolds tells this great story about going to work, and she's like a, you know, fresh face scrubbed, like, you know, not an intern, but like just coming into the radio world. Susan Reynolds tells this great story about going to work at WLS one morning. She gets into the elevator, and she's all, like, bundled up from the Chicago window. She gets into the elevator, and you know that thing, you walk in, you're all asleep. And the elevator, and it's like a thousand stories building, you know, so she's, the elevator's taking like an hour to get to the top. And she, like, looks over, and Paul Harvey's in the elevator next to her because he was going to work. And totally, like, with the tie and the full-on, like, dress. I like him dressed like Tim Riley. Totally, but, like, yeah, like the cool older guy, you know, that mm-hmm. you want to dress like, like your grandfather, like when he's all gussied up for, for church, you know, or whatever. Like, and, it, and she, like, looks over, and there's Paul Harvey, and she said, like, looking exactly the way you want him to look. And I think she actually said, like, Hello, Mr. Harvey, I'm just running the big panic. Hello, you looking right. You know, and, and he goes, well, thank you, young lady. I appreciate that. You know, and then she was just like, I had to get off the elevator before I screwed it up. So, all right, Paul Harvey, rest in peace. There you go. Back after this, ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Program. Hello, Americans. This is Paul Harvey. Stand by for news on Cullendon Lane, Jacksonville, Florida. Chuck Buick finally gave up. Chuck enjoys marijuana, so he decided to accept Paul Harvey's suggestion. He gave up. He went to the phone. He called me. He ordered a bong. Bong, that's a pipe used to smoke marijuana. I want you to hear this carefully because you're thinking about a Valentine's Day present for somebody you love very much. Quote, my marijuana bong arrived Saturday, and after I opened the box, I was in shock. My eyes were locked open wide. My whole house was now a concert hall. I went to the washroom, and even from there, it sounded like a real live lady singing right outside the door. <laughs> Quote, with heat eating your ears, you're gouging out and tearing loose and pulling apart, gulping air and tasting black. Your windpipe is closing, and you've lost track of which way is out. There's a searing ember down your neck. Search, rescue, ventilate. Somebody's singed a kitten. <laughs> Quote, I'm listening to all of my old CDs again because I have never really heard them before. Now, for that Valentine's Day gift, it's not too early for you to choose a bong. If you're anything but happy with it, I'll buy it back. To locate your nearest dealer, telephone 1-800-282-BONG. <laughs> oh, he'll be missed. It's the Rick Emerson radio program, an excursion into unforgivably juvenile behavior. I'm sorry, Paul Harvey. I know what he's dead. I feel That's bad. Flawless. Isn't that genius? Yeah, I can't take credit for that. Somebody else made it. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on the day, we'll talk to CNN radio correspondent James Roop. And uh, so for this, however, Todd Tulsa. Hello, Todd Tulsa. Hello there, Rick Emerson. Hi, Sarah X. Dillon. Hello, Todd. Hello, how are you? Doing pretty good. All right, fantastic. Let's resume the news. I gotta fight off the urge to talk like Paul Harvey all day. Here's the news. In the news today. <laughs> oh, can you do a Paul Harvey? No, and don't do the Hawaiian punch <laughs> thing. It freaks me yeah, out. The Hawaiian, punch the Hawaiian punch thing makes me that, that haunts does, my dreams. Nobody night. does Paul Harvey like Paul Harvey. Okay, let's get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. But actually, you and I did a two-part harmony. And now you know tagline a couple of weeks ago. Do you recall? Did we? Yes, we did. I don't remember. Like at 3.01, I flushed the whole show. Pretty darn good. It's like, you know what it is? Like on Firefox, you can set the browser like, you know, when you close it, delete cash and cookies. Eliminate everything. 
That's what I do with the, 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 like the, the two fifty nine or whatever. As soon as the program's done, I'm like in the can. Good, bad, it's gone now. <laughs> the people will say, I get people constantly, and I, I don't know if Sarah's the same way, but they'll be like, hey, so remember that uh, thing you were talking about today? Oh, and, you know, and I always no. still sometimes I'm like, nope, nope, not a clue. No, I don't. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm here doing the show, uh, and I don't remember it five minutes, which doesn't mean we I don't just care. yammer on. Yeah, and it's not that I don't care. It, it really is just like, if you try to remember what you do every day in a four-hour show, five days a week, pretty soon your entire brain fills up with that, and then you got no room left over to remember how to, like, stand. Exactly. Like, imagine sitting in an office for four hours, like, can you re- remember every single thing that you said while sitting at your Remember desk? that phone call phone you did call? last <laughs> week at 2 a.m.? No. No, I don't. <laughs> this is what I get from my fiancé every day. Remember when you said blank, blankety, blank, 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 four months ago? Yeah. Uh, now, the answer to that nope. is no. Does your fiancé uh, listen to the show? She is when a huge fan of, no, I mean, be, even before I came on the show, she was listening. Are you only to here play. to make her happy, be honest? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, well, fair yes. enough. <laughs> now, look, I prefer that we Why be up. You, bring, yes. you should have her in. Oh, I would. Bring her in, yeah. If she would come, I would. Yes. I just want her to be, I want, you know, I want to be upfront about the nature of our relationship, Todd. That's fine. Okay, so, good. Uh, anyway, so to, to answer your question, I believe you when you say that you and I did some back and forth Paul Harvey thing, but realize that I have no recollection of it. We told the story about uh, Stan Lee and how he was a personal friend of mine. Oh right, yeah. And you Bastard. came back with a uh, with a and uh, uh, now you guy. know the, the rest, rest of, of the story. story. Well, there you go. Meanwhile, police in McMinnville are searching for a guy who crashed his car into a Linfield College apartment building. Cops are looking for William Duncan. He fled the scene. After arresting his passenger, that would be his wife, Tracy Duncan, who also ran after the crash. Amazingly, police had just arrested the pair last week on child endangerment and dope charges after they were spotted driving around with five kids in the car who were not wearing safety belts, then finding meth in the car and their hotel room. That's fantastic. Nobody was hurt in the apartment when they crashed into. Wait, but oh, where are they? Wait, so are the kids? Do they have the kids with them? Oh yeah. I mean, so the kids. This, this crashes now. Are yeah. the kids okay? Uh, doesn't say. Well, don't oh. you just, well, that's one of those things where you just like. Do you wonder, like, if one of the kids, the kids who the kid who's the oldest, is just busy plotting? He's just plotting for the day that he's tall enough to be able to drive a car so they can run away. He's telling the other kids, "Look, look, be packed, be ready. The signal is, you know." Like the kid who stole his uh, mom's car when she was in the check cashing place. Seriously, because you know that kid is like, "F this. Uh, I was born to an idiot. I this is. I got to go make a life for myself." What about the kid who was? I just read this a few weeks ago. He was like, uh, "What was he like? Eight years old. He drove his mom's Taurus to school or tried to, but his feet could barely reach the pedals, and he couldn't see over the." steering wheel, so he hit a couple of things on the way to school, but finally made it to school. Mom was asleep. I guess she was passed out on the couch or something. He says, I got to get to school. I just got to get to school. See? So, so he you wanna... took the keys and tried to drive. Don't you want to give him a scholarship to the college of his choice right now? And, yeah. and also, by the way, parents who aren't idiots. So I think about that. I mean, in Southeast Portland, of course, you see this constantly. Uh, people who are just, you know, what are you? I'm a brood mare, basically. You know, just, you know, for no reason, what are you doing? I'm going to go home and reproduce some more. Why? I don't know. Uh, okay. And then you see them later on, like, standing in front of, yes, the check cashing place or right. waiting for the bus. And you realize, like, I, don't give me a look. I don't like children any more than they like me. But you still have this objective sense where you look at the kid and as somebody once said, you know, it's like you can see the kid's future before it's even happened. You know what I mean? And you know that 15 years from now, the kid's going to be there with a kid of its own. And you realize you just want to grab the kid and just run. You just want to grab the kid and just run and give the kid just randomly to anybody else because the law of averages is like you could leave the kid at a random house in a bassinet or, you know, Old Testament style, just shove it out uh, to sea in some reeds. And you know that it's going to end up with somebody better than the mom that has it now, right? I mean, it's just like this is like you, you couldn't do any worse most of the time. 
So, Jesus. All right. Well, there you go. NBC Universal is considering moving production of the Jerry Springer show, the Steve Wilco show, and Maury Povich's, Povich's show, which is called Maury, uh, to Stamford, Connecticut. Springer and Wilco's, that's uh, currently Springer in Springer and Wilco? Yeah, Yeah, Springer that's the big, bald, uh, his bodyguard He was a big security guy on Steve Jerry's show. Steve Wilco, okay, that guy. Right. Okay. That guy. He has his own show. Have you ever he seen has his show? own show now. No, because he's... ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And this is one of those, converse, those questions I ask over and over, because every time we talk about Springer, I always go, and what's his name? The bald guy. The and bald then somebody guy. says Steve, and then I forget. That's right. Because he was such a cult figure yeah. on that show. Probably still is. Here, look, let me ask you this. So you just said the Steve Wilco show, and then what else? Uh, the Springer show and the Maury Povich show. They're all going to be moved to Stamford, Connecticut. So they are still making new Springer shows. I know. It's not just life in reruns. Oh, yeah, when I was sick a few weeks ago, I, I watched a brand new one. See, but how would you even... Because they, I how think there was some know? reference to, like, Obama or Oh, to current like, events? Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, how could you even... That's the magic of the Springer show most of the time is you couldn't even tell. It's like one day is pretty much interchangeable with another, which I mean in the best sense, by the way. Oh, Jerry Springer's amazing. Hey, but let me let me say this about Jerry Springer, who I love, who, and I don't mean that like kitchily or kookily or, you know, like... Uh, he's a self-made man. Uh, well, and he's... And if, you've got to read... Um, it is the definitive interview, the Playboy interview with him, and the Playboy interview is always, is to me, the definitive interview in America because it's, you know, it really is a no-holds-barred interview that goes for like 10 typewritten pages. He's... It's, He's just unbelievably smart and uh, just a real, just a whip smart guy and smart enough to figure out what pays the bills. And, um, you know, he really just he has a good handle on America and what Americans buy. And plus, he was the youngest mayor in the history of Cincinnati. And when he got caught, and then he got bounced out of office for for paying for a hooker with like state money. Yeah. Like he God wrote bless it. Him. <laughs> and it was like so great because he didn't it wasn't even like state money. Like literally it was on a check. Like from the Cincinnati Treasury or something. It's like, so uh, how much for, uh, you know, 90 minutes with you and the, and, and the friend? And she's like, you know, three grand. And he's like, all right, he take checks. And he, wrote, and he wrote it on a state check, if I remember correctly. And when he got caught, he did the greatest thing. He just went on television. He's like, look, well, I did this thing I shouldn't have. I, uh, I spent time with a hooker. So that's bad, but uh, I used your money, which is really bad. So if you want to boot me out, like, go ahead. And I think, I can't remember if they did, and then he came back, or maybe they kept him or whatever, but I mean, uh, also, by the way, when he was the mayor of Cincinnati, they got rid of the draft. They banned the draft uh, under his mayorship of Cincinnati. But I was watching the Springer show by accident, which is kind of the only way you really watch that show at this point. Because, like, you can't sit your TiVo to record it, because then you got to kill yourself. And so Laura and I were at home, and we'd been out somewhere, and we were up late, and we were all kind of jacked up on caffeine and whatever. So we're just, like, flipping around on TV. And the Springer show was on. And it's like, between the last time I watched Springer and this most recent time, it has gotten so much more surreal than I even remember it being. Like, at one point, there was, like, these two big-ass, like, Butch bald lesbians punching each other in the face, arguing over a baby, and then it's and then there was like some other guy who came out and he had no teeth, of course, and then there was like a three-person fight, and then I swear to God, at one point they start, they lowered an American flag at the rear of the stage, <laughs> behind the two lesbians and the toothless guy who were punching each other, and then they cut to somebody in the audience who's singing the national anthem, and then like confetti started to fall out, of the, and I was like, what in the f am I watching? It was like it, had, it was like the Japanese had taken over production of the show or something, and you expected like a squid to somehow just jump out of the you know, and then everybody to have huge eyes, and then suddenly there'd be explosions, and then everybody would uh, throw cupcakes. It was it became so weird. Now you remember they had to curb the actual physical contact on the show. They I had do. to stop the fighting. I do right? remember. Apparently that. they took a lot of heat for that, and so the uh, physical encounters were they were restrained by the big bald guy right. Steve Wilkos right. and his gang of black-shirted thugs. And now Wilco's has his own show. Well, now they have like a boxing ring. Oh, they do. On the well, see, so when did that happen? Like, well, I don't remember no, that. They do. 
Yeah, and they have a yeah, they have a stripper pole and they have a um and a boxing ring. See, when did all of these things happen? I mean, is you turn <laughs> like away? all of a sudden everyone will be like Jerry, Jerry, and then like they'll hear a ding, ding, and like they'll start going at each other. So this is, uh, I mean, this is by the way is how the American attention span it's works. <laughs> that let me just say this: so in the space of just like X number of months or years, they went from not allowing fights to having a boxing, boxing ring <laughs> as part of the stage and a stripper pole, or like you know some toothless, you know like. Like recently impregnated woman will be like swinging around it while her like toothless guys are. This is why Ketzel Levine doesn't want to be on our show anymore. I mean, or ever again. <laughs> that's a, that's it. Well, and because like this is the sort of thing I find fascinating. I mean, this is the thing that is both great and repellent about this country. Uh, is that is is that? By the way, when they were doing that thing of like curbing the violence, you knew at the time that that was only going to be for you know that they, that wasn't going to you know that's like when your, your your mom tells you to like quit you know quit punching your brother and you go okay. And then you wait for her to be distracted, and then you start, like, you know, Punching him inching over the line she's drawn in the back seat or whatever again. I mean, you knew that was the case. So, goddamn, I love Jerry Springer. It's just the best. It's just the best show. It is the embodiment of America. It really is. Taking Springer and the Wilco show out of Chicago, I think that's going to, I wonder if that's going to color the production in some bizarre way and moving it to the East Coast. Perhaps it'll get more of an attitude. Well, it's got a real Chicago, I mean, I've never been to Chicago, but from what I understand, it's got a real Chicago feel. I understand the show, with the, Springer's got a very Chicago vibe. I've mm-hmm. heard a lot of people say that. Okay, quickly, let's uh, now list off shows in the Springer vein that may or may not even be around anymore. I'll start. Uh, uh. And, of course, I'm choking. Uh, what's her name from uh, Hairspray? Um, oh, Ricky Lake. Ricky Lake. Montel Williams. Okay, but Ricky Lake, still back, st- on or not? No, not. Gone? Gone. Okay. Oh, she's long gone. Montel. Yeah. On or not? Thank you. On. Gone. No, I think he's on. Is he still he on? Gone? I have no idea. Or, Sarah Frank Kelsey is in he's the on? Uh, back in the... Well, but is, is that show, though, the Montel show, still on? I didn't think that. I haven't seen it. I thought it. he had the cancer. He had cancer? All right. I Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, it's okay. The show may or may not still exist. And there's Maury Povich. Maury Povich. Okay. Still on. Still on? Mm-hmm. Where? Still on? Like, where would you even see that show? Oh, God. I don't know. But how can that man sleep at night? You mean with just that thing next to him? Well, not just, No, Connie Chung. That's something Connie else. Chung. Oh, my God. You know, he's married to Connie Chung. I'm not talking about that. Oh. I'm just, you know, here's the guy who's... Sorry. He's holding up some, uh, you know, eight and a half by 11 manila envelope with someone's DNA results inside of it. Oh, you know? no, he's he's without morals. No, he's a completely unscrupulous... He's person. evil. He has, like, evil, dead, soulless eyes. Oh, no, yeah, no, he has he has the devil's eyes. Like a doll's eyes. No, there's no... The more he looks like a puppet. No, he and, that, uh, he and that Chung woman, they're broken inside. I mean, there's nothing human left in them. I mean, we all know that. And by the way, let me ask you this. Whatever happened to Connie Chung after she did that thing of singing on a piano, wearing a dress? You know what I'm talking about? That no. thing she did? <laughs> no. Yes, you do. You remember the Connie Chung audio? The, oh. of her singing. I think you, you and I share a brain, Rick. All right. Hold on a second. Let me see. You, before we just lo- launch it on him, because we should, we should let's see if I, I, and I don't think I have it, so you'll have to find the YouTube Yeah, video. it's buffering right now. Okay. <laughs> Even when, before you said that. When Connie Chung left. CBS. Was it when she left CBS, Sarah? Is that when she, what was this for? Yeah, when she was leaving CBS and she was like rolling her. <laughs> you never saw Connie Chung. You're like the last person. It's like my wife the other day. We were at the we were at the the, the, the Film Fever Radio Awards, and somebody referenced the Christian Bale meltdown, and Laura was like, "What do you mean? What melt?" And she had somehow missed it, and we realized we just had to send her a series of links. There was no way to explain the whole thing. When Connie Chung left CBS now a couple years ago, she did. I cannot believe you don't know about this. She did the most insane. Like surreal exit from CBS, and I'm not making this up. And we'll, we we don't have time to play the whole thing, but we'll we'll, we'll se- play it after the commercial. Yeah, we'll play a bit, and then we'll and then we'll then we'll send you the link so you can watch it. 
where she was there in an evening gown, sitting on a piano, like Fabulous Baker Boy style, yeah, yeah. and singing this unbelievably off-key song about... It was like, thanks for the memories, but it became this weird spoken word thing because she can't sing. So she sang this terrible rendition of thanks for the memories while sitting on a piano and referencing Maury Povich. And now he's whipped. And, and just and seriously, and I'm not making any of this up, it's unbelievably bad. It's we one of the worst. We even parodied it for a listener party video. When we did one of the, the intro piano. movies to one of our listener parties, we, we, we did a parody of it with me in, uh, in a dress because it was so widely, it's astounding. So... But I'm so, sorry I didn't see this guy. I guess my BS rejection filter must have been set on oh, high awesome. or something. It's so bad. Um, but yes, okay, so Maury Povich is back on. Let's see what else. Yes. Oh, and the original. Carney Wilson had a show. There was Carney Wilson. She did. That's got to be gone. What about the original? Morton Downey Jr. Dead. Dead. Gone and dead. Oh, he's been dead. He he dead a long time. Yeah. Yeah, there's But uh, he gets tossed in the same trash heap as the rest of these. Boy, he doesn't get the he credit he deserves, though. That guy was a pioneer. Oh, yeah. He was a groundbreaker. I don't think there would have been a Springer without a Morton Downey Jr. No, he was he was one of the originals. And Jenny those Jones. But Jenny, Jenny Jones. Jones. Yeah, oh, she was hot. I found her Did, hot. Didn't she kill somebody uh, allegedly? No, not no. even allegedly. <laughs> Let's be very clear about this. Wait, oh, no, somebody killed themselves after going on our show. CBS and, no. CB, well, that's possible, I suppose. CBS and yeah, CBS. It was, it was a big news story. No, it, I mean, but, it wasn't but, that's not what ha- but that's not what happened. Here's okay. what you're thinking of. CBS and CBS Legal are not implying that Jenny Jones killed anybody. Jenny Jones is a lovely hot lady. Here's what you're thinking of. You are thinking of the murder that happened after it was a secret gay crush revealed. And it was a guy named Scott, Scott something or other. Right. And it was, hey, Scott, somebody you know has a secret. And, you know, and I think Scott was, I believe Scott was the gay man, very obviously gay. And then his, you know, like pal, who's like a big, you know, Hey, Louis, you know, Peter, it's the brass chick. He looked like that guy. He was like a big, you know, like a big redneck guy. And it was like, hey, redneck guy, uh, you know, Scott, gay man, has a secret for you. And, like, who wouldn't see this guy? Like, how dumb do you have to be? Mm-hmm. And it was like somebody has a secret crush on you. Oh, hey, it's another man. And there was this whole thing about how so-and-so had a secret gay crush on him. Well, it's all well and good until they go home, and then redneck guy uh, goes over with a 12-gauge and kills the guy. Oh, man. And then they sued Jenny Jones for saying, like, why didn't you check to see if this guy was a nutcase before springing this weird thing on him on television? Right. And, you know, and I... And Does he have, like, a prior record or anything? I don't... I, I, I don't... I, I forget exactly how, and I, I don't even remember what the verdict was at this point. I mean, I can't even remember how it how it turned out, but I think that was the end of that show, because it was... Like, that was such a pall over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh... And she was kind of weird looking, and then she had all this plastic surgery she done like as well. She like a Catwoman. She You're did. Right. And, in fact, uh, uh, Cindy and I were watching, you know, we were on the Game Show channel just a couple of days ago, and we were watching an old, old uh, episode of The Match Game with yeah. uh, Gene, I want to say Gene Rayburn? Yeah. Gene Rayburn? And there was Jenny Jones as a contestant. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely she, her. She was, I found her kind of sexy in a weird way. I found, because she just seemed, she just seemed kind of, uh... She just seemed so permanently damaged that I found it kind of hot. There was just something really, really awful uh, in her past. Seriously, yeah. no, you could see that there was some sort of uh, there was some sort of traumatic incident in Jenny Jones's like maybe early adolescence, uh, which I you know I find kind of a turn on. Sort of wholesome looking on the outside, but damaged and broken on the inside. Here's a true story about the Jenny Jones. So I have a friend of mine who went on the Jenny Jones show, not for anything scandalous. It was one of their more like a makeover show, like one of their kind of you know like lackluster sort of like when they didn't have anything else planned. Like we'll get you know we're gonna get some hick girl, which she was. And we're gonna give you a makeover. So I won't use my this friend's name this friend's name, but uh, it was nobody nobody that we know here, but it was somebody I knew years ago. But she was gonna get a makeover. <coughs> Pardon me, they do the whole thing of like they fly her out there and they put you up at the hotel and then they you know, like, Okay, we're gonna send the limo for you and you'll come down, and you'll you'll you know, they'll make you over on T V and then we'll show your new look or whatever. And not tremendously surprising, but and of course it's filming in Chicago and not in a very nice part of Chicago at that. 
uh, you're kind of one of the sort of skeezy uh, parts of Chicago, or maybe you don't want to be uh, walking around by yourself, you know, like at certain times of day. So she goes and she films um, the Jenny Jones show, and they, they get the limo to her hotel, they bring her, and then, like, literally, as soon as the filming is done, they're like, and, okay, you'll need to leave. No, oh, by the way, we've already checked you out of the hotel, and your luggage is going to be waiting for you, and thanks. <laughs> like, like, put her out and, like, slam the studio door. Like, didn't even call her a cab. Like, the limo brought her from the hotel to the studio. As soon as the taping was done, they're like, get out. She's like, you're going to call me a cab? No, goodbye. <laughs> and she's, like, standing outside, like, WTF. And with her sister... And they'd never been out of Utah before. And so they're like standing on the south side of Chicago at about 7 o'clock at night like, I don't, um, hello? And they ended up call, get, get, hailing a cab, which was a bad idea, by the way, because if you're in Chicago, a little uh, confidential to you, if you're in Chicago, don't hail a cab, call for a cab. Because when you hail a cab, the odds are like one in three. It's not really a cab so much as it is a car driven by an insane guy who's figured out that's a good way to get girls into his vehicle. Oh. And so they're riding around in what they think is a cab, even though it doesn't have the little, like, meter thing. And they didn't notice that until they've already taken off. And they're like, so, uh, we need to go that way. And he's like, no, 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 I take your secret route. Well, that's like Shades of the Bone Collector. <laughs> totally. And at one point, he started to, like, go to a series of narrower and narrower alleys. And I guess a lot of uh, guys sort of, like, lingering around on the perimeter of the streets. And so at one point, she didn't have to pepper spray him. But I guess at one point, she said she, she literally she pulled out her pepper spray and she put it, like, at his, like, to the back of his head. She's like, if you don't stop the car right now, like, I will pepper spray you this instant and I will gouge out your eyes. And he was like, okay. And so he stopped and they got in and they just freaking ran. They like ran oh, toward that's the. Terrifying. That was, that's how that, that's how that, that story ended. But, uh, anyway. Mm. Hey, do you want to hear the, uh, Connie Chung thing? Is it time? Is it time? Let's it play is. it on the break here. I'd love to hear that. How long is the whole thing? Uh, 2.49. Let's not play the whole thing. It's not the whole thing. Let's but... play the beginning mm -hmm. and then skip to like the blast, the big finish. Okay, like well, 30. it's not buffered all the way to the end yet. Then we should play it when we come back. Okay. Because it's gold. You want to hear the end. The end. I can't make everybody listen to the whole thing again. It would just be cruel. It was so bad. It was so bad. It's unbelievably bad. You have no, you have no idea how bad it is. But when we come back, you'll find out how bad. That's after this. Todd Tulsis uh, continues around the corner. Connie Chung on the way. And uh, more, plus Jim Roof. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Look anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, Connie Chung. Thanks, memories. Winter Joe for little Joe. My little I could make oh, more what is that? Skid Row. Skipping. Ooh. I spent all this time letting it buffer. Ooh. Buffer. All right. Wait, I have another one. We have another one. You back up a supplementary <laughs> I have copy. A backup. It's the backup right. version. Let's try this again, ladies and gentlemen. Connie Chung. Memories. Winter Joe. For... All right. Connie. There was this thing that Connie Chung did uh, one time, Todd Tulsa. Thank uh, you. Where she was singing, Thanks for the Memories. And there you go. <laughs> Wasn't that anticlimactic? <laughs> it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733. Connie broke my heart. 297. <laughs> broke all of our hearts. Uh, well, now we, have to, now we have to track down that. You know, somebody else sent us a copy. But, yeah, we'll find um, out. But the thing is, it's like that was... I don't even know how to back up. I was telling Todd that that was it's the single weirdest thing I've ever seen a major personality do on a major television network to the point that there's only two possibilities. One, she just had so much clout they couldn't stop her. Or two, they were so glad to be rid of her, go figure, that they were just like, Wh whatever. You know, no, 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 I'm going to do a, sing a song and a dance. I'm going to roll around again. Like, whatever. It's your last day, right? You're gone. You're not coming back. No, this is it. I'm done. Okay, fine. Do whatever you want. 
You know, just like a, like a getting her out the door kind of thing. So, uh, best statement uttered during the commercial break, Sarah. I don't know if the billions, if it's the billions of pills I've been taking today, but I feel much better. So I think it <laughs> and might. And then my certified because I have like the good. Um... You have the good stuff. Oh, they are right there. Yeah. I have the good stuff from Washington, the Sudafed, the methy stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's making me feel all tingly. Yeah. Now, you said it was making you feel tingly when you scratched it's your like head. Like when I scratch my head, it feels a little, like, tingly. What, your head or your fingers? No, just, like, like whenever I, like... Wherever you scratch. Yeah. Yeah. So you've taken some Sudafed legally I've obtained. Taken, yes, I've taken... But when you scratch yourself, Sudafed. your skin tingles? And I've taken Mucinex, and I've taken ibuprofen and vitamins. What's in Mucinex? Is there, there isn't like speed Mucinex in that. Mucinex is supposed to get all like this. Oh, it's an out. expectorant. It's a... Yeah, blah. it's a cough suppressant and expectorant. Yes. Uh, it's rid of the accumulated gack in your... The uh, accumulated gack. Yes. Yeah. Um, By the, the way, I brought that up to my doctor, because I had the same thing, and, I, and, I, and he, says, he says, what's the matter? And I says, I got the gack. What the... <laughs> what what is that? And I says you know the gack. Everybody has it. Says, is it? Are is it? You mean like phlegm? I says well yeah it's like phlegm but gack it's the sound your voice makes when you're trying to get rid of it. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> wow. Um, so so Sarah's taking the Sudafed. It's the good. It's got the pseudoephedrine in it, which. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not trying to make light of our drug epidemic, blah, 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 blah. But it's fantastic. But seriously, but I mean, that, that's the only stuff that works because that crap they sell now doesn't work. It just doesn't. Uh, and so, you know, you now have to go to Washington to buy drugs that are going to that are gonna actually combat your congestion. Do the job. I mean, that's the thing. It's like mm-hmm. anything the government sells you now. I used to, when I uh, years ago before I came here, I was working at a 7-Eleven. And uh, I worked the overnight shift, and there was this cop named... Uh, we always called her Zena because she was huge. I can't remember her actual name. I forget now, but it's some huge cop in San Diego. She's like this massive Amazon woman. Ma'am. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I called her. I called her mommy, Todd. Um, but she would come in and she, you know, she worked overnight. She worked graveyard shift as a cop, which, you know, you want to be, you know, you want to be awake anyway, but especially as a cop, you got to have your wits about you. And she wasn't used to overnights and graveyard. And she would come into the 7-Eleven and she would be like, you know, and she look at the sort of like little supplements they sell by the cash register, like the B Paul and whatever. And she's like, "Do any of these work uh, to keep you awake?" And I said, "No." And she goes, "Oh, have you tried them?" And I said, "I just know they don't work." And she said, "How?" And I said, "Because they're still legal. Like anything that works, you all get rid of." I mean, that's just a fact. Do we have to go on and on about mini things again? No, because everybody <laughs> knows. But, it's, but it's, it's like anything, any any drug that actually is effective. And I'm not talking about like to abuse any drug that does its job properly. They just they take they get rid of it and you can no longer buy it over the counter. That's the government's way. It works. Get rid of it. Replace it with something more expensive than is ineffective. And tax it heavily. And tax it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that's the thing with with Sudafed, which is the only thing that really that really does the job. Everything else is just a the placebo, in my opinion. Um, but and it's great if you've got finals coming up. All right, here's Todd Tulsis. Almost a year after Jimmy Fallon was named new host of NBC's Late Night, uh, and ten days after predecessor Conan O'Brien departed, Fallon makes his debut tonight on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Fallon's scheduled opening night guests include Robert De Niro, Justin Timberlake, Van Morrison is his musical guest. As long as we're going on about uh, Late Night Entertainment, Letterman has you 2 on his show this evening. Did you watch uh, Conan's last show? On his last late night show on NBC, I saw uh, some of it, not all of it. It was uh, it was good. I uh, you know I'm no longer in Conan's demographic. He's very much like a college kid thing. I think that's a, I think the, uh, Conan really hits the college age crowd. Him and John Stewart have kind of cornered the market on that. <laughs> so I don't know what his audience is going to be now that he moves you know up. But um, but it was good. It was a uh, you know he's he's got boy he's come a long way. You go back and you look at those 
that first season or two of Conan O'Brien, it was just bad, bad, bad. Fascinating in a way because he was finding his finding his voice, but just just awful. Um, no, I mean it's very an embryonic show at that point. But I'm proud of Conan O'Brien because he, you know, I, I always felt he was just such he was so much one of us in the sense that like he'd never been. I mean, he was a writer, you know, like he wrote for The Simpsons, which is it's not like he came out of nowhere. I mean, he wrote for The Simpsons, but and he, you know, he he'd been a writer on SNL, and I think he'd been a guy standing in the background, but he'd never hosted anything ever. Right. I mean, in retrospect, it's insane that they gave that show to a guy who'd never been on television. I mean, it was just crazy, and it worked out really well, but it just seems inexplicable. Didn't we just go through a litany of a half a dozen to a dozen talk show hosts who had never hosted anything before, That's and then suddenly they're thrust upon our television sets Well, as hosts yeah. of their own show? Because Lord knows that only happens in television. Yeah. That never happens in radio. I mean, look, uh... Have you ever hosted a show before, Mr. Kalen? No. How would you like to do drive time on KLSX? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> right. Hey, David Lee Roth, have you ever hosted a radio show? No. Hey, why don't you have a morning drive program in New York City? How about Danny Do- uh, Bonaducci? There's another one. Yeah, know? I like Danny. I, I will say that. Did he host anything prior to that? And the Partridge family doesn't count. No, now to be fair, I, gotta, I, gotta, I can't believe I'm saying this. I have to come to the defense of Danny Bonaducci. Danny Bonaducci gets a lot of crap from people, and he's not everybody's taste. I will give you that, because he's, it's like Dennis Pitsenbarger hosting a show. He's just very, he's only got one gear, and that is overdrive. And everything Danny Bonaducci does is at that same level of gravelly intensity. I know he's not everybody's sort of cup of, cup of joe or whatever. I got to defend Danny Bonaducci, though, in that he is not a celebrity who was just handed a radio show. He worked his way up. He really did. After the Partridge family, he was down and out doing a whole lot of nothing. And he started off uh, at not probably absolute entry-level gigs because he did have, you know, name recognition. But he worked at a series of stations across the country. Uh, in better and better markets, working his way up until he got the chance. So I will come to the defense of Bonaducci. He really put in, he did pay pay his his share of dues, unlike almost every other celebrity that is given a radio program. Right. Quite often by, uh, well, certain networks. So um, the, And then, and then yeah. there are radio talk show hosts that are given television programs. Which is never a good idea. Take Rush Limbaugh, for yes. example. Successful radio program, given a television show, crashes and burns, yep. you know, furiously. Well, people who do television People who do television always fail at doing radio, uh, and people who do radio always fail at doing television. Exactly. It's just they're two different medi- mediums, media. Uh, Rush's show was awful because he had that terrible studio audience that would just hoot at everything he said like he was an evangelist. And like I love Rush, but boy, some of his audience is just the dumbest bastards on earth. And the fact that there was not one person of color in the entire audience ever. Well, it was. I mean, it was that... It was not only that it was Rush, it was also that it was Rush in, like, what, 1995, maybe? And their whole thing was, like, saturating that one specific target demographic, for the, you know, which was the angry white voter, which is my, my in-laws, basically. Uh, did you, even worse than Rush, did you, did you ever see Dr. Laura's television program? Oh, my gosh. Wow, it was awful. That didn't last very so long bad. either. But the thing is, I watched every moment of it because I wanted to savor her public failure. I wanted just to, I wanted just to, 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 to watch every single moment of her public shame as that uh, television program of hers spiraled toward the toilet. It, oh. was a, it was a death spiral on video. You know, Sharon Osbourne had a show like that. I forget about that. Oh, Sharon yeah, Osbourne had one of those yeah, shows. Yeah. By the way, the Montel show ceased production last year. Uh, we were having a dispute about that. So, yeah, that Rush TV show, was, uh, that was no good. And I, and I just have, I'm happen to be looking at a picture of, of him here, which was taken just a day or so ago at the CPAC convention, the Rush. Conservative yeah. uh, Political Action Committee convention. And, boy, he is looking more and more like Oliver Hardy. Wait, All he needs is, is a he, derby. Has he, has he bloated back up? Oh, bloated oh, back up. yeah. 
This is uh, this is Oliver Hardy reincarnated. I think we just need to send him a derby right he away. Got, he got in thin for a while. Those days are gone. Well, uh, he's, apparently he's back not. To being a large man. No, this is not good. Yeah, well, well, it depends what your point of view best, is, I suppose. Let me just say this, my one observation about Rush, because I was, my wife was watching the Colbert Report the other night, and they were, <laughs> I don't know, they were screaming about him, and you know, whatever. And, and I know working over at uh, KPOJ, uh, as you did, I know that there was, you know, he's he's kind of a whipping boy for for a lot of folks. But um, <laughs> the great thing about here's the great thing about Rush, and the great thing about Rush, and I, I come from this from the, I'm just saying this from a nonpartisan point of view. I have no political dog in this fight because I don't care. Um, but. Um, the great thing about Rush also simultaneously underscores just the idiocy of so much of the Republican Party at this point. And I'm not exempting liberals. Liberals are idiots in their in their own way. But for for our purpose, for the purpose of this discussion, I'm talking about Republicans who are just unbelievably stupid in so many ways. Because they've got Rush speaking like on behalf of the Republican Party over the last two or three months as though he's their actual spokesperson. And then the Republicans themselves sort of embrace it, you know, like, well, Rush Limbaugh seems to be. He wrote an editorial in the Wall Street Journal a while back of telling, like, how to how to redesign the budget. And the Wall Street Journal ran it is the insane thing. My, my friend Sneedon was coming out of his skin about it. He's like, why is Rush talking about the And I said, well, so the, the question you have to ask yourself isn't, like, why is Rush writing a, an article about how to handle uh, the, you know, the, the recession? Or why, why is Rush talking about how to reinvent the Republican Party? Uh, the question is, why is the Wall Street Journal publishing that? Here's your answer. The Wall Street Journal is now owned by Rupert Murdoch, and and my... who also owns Fox News, and I think what the New York Post. Yeah, yeah. And so, and my thing is like, you know, Rush doesn't care. I mean, you know, I'd be I'd be I'd be astounded if he even voted. It's you know, his whole thing is just whatever is going to impre- increase the brand of Rush. And it's like every time somebody gets irritated, every time uh, you know he writes something for the Wall Street Journal, they publish it. Man, it's just big. It's like those cartoon. Money bags, where it's just like the huge bag that's signed up with a big dollar sign on the front. So, I mean, you know what? You make every dollar while you can. So, I'm, I'm all for it. All right, here's Todd Pulses. Profits are down and on the uh, top four major U.S. TV networks as they attempt to adjust their offerings to jack up revenues. The New York Times reported on Saturday that even CBS, which has consistently been a ratings front runner after Connie Chung left, has seen a significant decline in profits due to the rising cost of producing drama series and declining advertising. Networks are struggling with the combination of higher aver- advertising costs and dwindling viewership numbers, said one industry analyst. More dollars are chasing fewer eyeballs. Somebody wants to know what Sarah uh, meant when she said, I've been taking this methy stuff from Washington. <laughs> Sarah, would you care to clarify? Oh, the Sudafed from Washington. The stuff that actually still works. Yeah, because if you buy it in it Oregon now. kind of tingly. Well, and uh, do you feel uh, it gave you lots of pep? <laughs> I am a little more awake, and I've only had one cup of coffee. Yeah, good times. Uh, and so forth. All right. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson radio program. What's up, Rick, sir? How can I help you? Um, you guys were talking about Bubble Up Pop last week. You're Bubble Up, yes. You can buy it still. Now, is that true? So where do you, is it like online or something? Where, we, where would you buy Bubble oh, Up? Oh, you can go to uh, Cost Plus World Market. Sweet. All right. Excellent. I don't even know if I'd still enjoy it. I mean, it was basically just 7-Up, but it was sort of a, but it was a weird sort of off-brand that you didn't really think about, like RC Cola, and so therefore it was sort of cool. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Uh, you have anything else for us today? Well, I think that's it. All right. Thank you for listening, my friend. All right. Later. All right there you go. You know, our caller is correct. The Cost Plus World Market is a great place to find all sorts of screwball stuff that doesn't exist in mass production anymore. Uh, stuff like Needix, you know, the soft drink. Needix. Uh, Moxie. What is that? Uh, you know, like Blackman's chewing gum or something. Oh like that. no, the Beeman's. The Beeman's. Beeman's chewing gum, which that was a big hipster gum when I was in high school. Yeah. I remember when I was in high school is when is when they re-released that because they didn't make it for like 80 years. 
And I was like, I think a sophomore when they started putting out Beeman's Blackjack and something else. There were three. Right. Like Clove or whatever was the other one. Oh. And suddenly that was like all the kids in the drama class. I'm chewing this bitch in Blackjack gum. <laughs> I'm edgy. Look at the chewing gum I'm using. And in high school, it's like it's so hard to be edgy in any way or to, to make yourself look rebellious. Yeah, how can the gum be hipster? <laughs> because because I because it like it was referenced in Pump Up the Volume. Because uh, that's what the, you know, that's what the, Mark, what's his name, uh, Christian Slater's character was like chewing blackjack gum. And so we're all like, I'm going to chew blackjack gum, I'll be cool. And, which doesn't really work, by the way. All right, here's Todd Tolstice. Meanwhile, while the TV networks are losing money hand over fist, Hollywood is doing a great uh, deal of business these days. With much, with much of the economy teetering between bust and bailout, the movie industry has been startled by a box office surge that has little precedent in the modern era. Suddenly, everyone is going to the movies, with ticket sales up 17.5%. According to Media by the Numbers, a box office tracking company, it's not just because ticket prices are higher, and they are. It's because popcorn is higher, too. It's because attendance has also jumped by 16%, and if that pace continues through the year, it would amount to the biggest box office surge in at least 20 years. Now, how can that possibly be true? I, I mean, maybe is it know. like people, it's escapism or something, but you would think, well, you got the TV and you got the, 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 the TVO and the Netflix. And... Well, according to Marty Kaplan, he's the director for the Norman Lear Center for the Study of Entertainment and Society at USC. He says Americans, for the most part, just want to hide in a very dark place. I'm sorry, I'm swallowing something. Well, I know you speak for me, Todd. <laughs> the box office surge started just before Christmas with that uh, comedy Marley and Me, in which Jennifer Aniston is upstaged by a dog. Yes, it's, is, a, it's just a delightful comedy, isn't it? <laughs> has continued weekend by weekend with little sign of let up. Rent it for your kid's birthday party. Hey, kids, we're all going to watch Marley and Me. Put on your paper hat. <laughs> And, and Watchmen, which is coming up, uh, it's a dark yeah. superhero film. Yeah. It opens up on March 6th. It is expected to do megawatt business. Movie theaters are already adding 3 a.m. screenings for Watchmen next week and said advanced sales by online ticket companies like Fandango and MovieTickets.com have been extremely strong. We should say that uh, yeah, yeah. we're going to see Watchmen tonight, actually. We are uh, we are lucky enough to be able to see that. Uh, oh, that, you get the, uh, pre- the advanced yeah. uh, the the critic screening out. tonight. We're going to oh, get a chance to go see gonna that. Be fun. It's the, that's the power of CBS, uh, Todd Tolsis. They... Uh, Yes, I'm gonna say yeah. Uh, it's a free movie. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. We don't have printer. We don't have printer paper. Uh, and in fact, we were using headphones with one functioning channel for six months. But here's some movie tickets, kids. Oh, I'm sure enjoy. you'd rather have these. All right. Uh, so Watchmen, which is going to do uh, very well. And then you know the thing about the movie attendance being up, it's one of those things where you almost get a little angry about it because everybody's everybody's either. You know, out out of work, or they worry, worried they're going to be out of work, and, you know, and yet apparently the movie, you know, attendance is up by twenty percent, and you know, tickets are twelve bucks now. So you kind of hear the voice of Susie Orman in your head. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you are denied. You may not sit home and do shadow puppets on the wall, girlfriend. You know, I, I've asked I've asked Cindy about this a bunch of times. Why does Susie Orman mug for the camera every time it's on her? She gives this exaggerated sort of smile and wiggly wag, you know, yeah. to her eyebrows. A wiggly wag. Yeah, a little wiggly wag to her eyebrows, you know, just, you know, this Cheshire cat kind of smile. And uh, it's not while she's giving an answer, and her advice is usually, you know, fairly spot on. Oh, she knows what she's talking about. Um, yeah. I have no quibble with that. It's just uh, whenever you see a still photograph of her or mm-hmm. if they cut away to her before she's saying anything, she winds up with this fastball smile on her face, which ends up making her head look like it has more teeth than skin on it. But she has a lot of teeth. I mean, her teeth are huge. I'll give you that. Um, I think maybe it's because, look, don't get me wrong, I respect Susie Orman, and I fear her. Me too. But she's, um, I would say, perhaps a uh, a handsome woman. 
I mean, you know what I mean? I'm not saying she's ugly. I'm not. But, I mean, look, she's not glamour. She's not. It has nothing to do with the fact that she's gay. It's just that, like, you know, there are people who are TV pretty. I'm certainly not. Uh, you know, but, you know, and Susie Orman isn't either. I mean, she's not ugly. She's just not. She's not. Like, you don't look at her and go, wow, she's hot. I mean, I would imagine even if you're a woman, I would imagine, you, you know, even if you're like a gay woman, I don't think you look at Susie Orman and go, she's sexy. She's beautiful. She's not. I mean, she's, you know, she's, you know, kind of like Martha Stewart in that way. She looks really clean. Yeah. I mean, she's a very. Handsome. And she speaks well. <laughs> she does look and she's like, oh, she's all sparkly and clean. Uh, but, you know, she's, you know, a, a pleasant looking woman, but not hot in any way. And so you wonder if maybe she is somehow aware of the fact that she does not have, like, television style glamorous looks. And maybe compensates for that by striking a weird kind of pose or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, that might be, you know, that might be the deal with her. Um, so, I mean, that's it's got to be some sort of explanation for that. But, um, yeah. It's almost like a Warner Brothers cartoon character, you know, who raises his eyebrows, you know, in mock exaggeration, you know, for, you know, for effect. Can I tell you this? I was watching Susie Orman. Uh, it was the Saturday before the Super Bowl because that shows on in our house constantly. My wife, my wife is an acolyte. I mean, she, which is great. My my wife is, which which to me is so much better than you know, that's like being you know, like one of those idiot women that is it's like into Doctor Phil or something. Dr. Phil, who, by the way, you know that Dr. Phil has a diet book out? Dr. Phil's overweight. <laughs> Take know. a good long look at Dr. Phil. <laughs> that man, he that's a fat man. And look, I don't care. Be fat, don't be fat. Dr. Phil's a fat man, and he's writing a book about how to lose weight. That's just dumb. This is a, this is a book that came out actually a couple of years ago. And I think in it he, say, he says, no, no, I'm overweight. Uh, that's not the point. The point is getting you, uh, getting you to take charge of your life. Oh, it burns. Sorry. Oh, that voice makes wow. me cringe. Not because you're, I mean, you know, because that's so, that's so good, that Dr. Phil voice you just did. That just makes me cringe. Speaking of beatings. Uh, um, but, um. yeah, but so he wrote this diet book and whatever. And so, yeah, you're like buying everything the idiot Dr. Phil is telling you. I mean. You ought to be taken out of the gene pool, probably. But I mean, <laughs> but Susie Orman though knows what she's talking about. Like she clearly, all of her shtick notwithstanding, she knows what she's doing. Yeah. And so I have no problem, you know, with it. You know, it's not like I need to approve it or whatever. But Laura watches all the time, which is great. I mean, you know, whatever. You know, the smarter you can get about money, you know, good for you. There was this insane great moment on Susie Orman the the Saturday before the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl was on Sunday. The previous Saturday, she was doing this, I don't know, kind of the Super Bowl themed show. Uh, and so you know, like she was. Like, well, you know, because there's this segment on Susie Gomer, people call in and they ask if they can buy something expensive. And then she'll ask them how much they make, what are their bills, what do they owe. And then she'll either say, you are approved or you are, you know, you are denied. And so it was a lot of like, I'm going to buy myself like a collectible football, like a signed by Joe Namath for like $6,000. So it was like a bunch of football themed questions. The great part was she's in that big studio where she does the show. And Susie Orman is sitting behind the desk looking sort of, you know, butch as she does. And like her special guest that day was like the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders who were all in like their scantily clad. I mean, they're in their cheerleaders' outfits, wearing like barely covering their lady bits and doing a bunch of like synchronized cheers, like give me an S, give me a U, give me a Z, give me an E. And it was like the greatest, hottest thing I've ever seen in my life where it's not like Susie Orman, again, it's like that much of a looker, but I'm watching television and here's Susie Orman who has an entire platoon of cheerleaders dancing for her, which if you were a man... And did that, like if you were some guy, some idiot guy that did a talk show, you know, right, we're going to have uh, chicks, you know, like, on, you know, like one of those, uh, one of those retarded, like, like Tom Arnold, best, best damn sports show things or whatever, you know, like one of those, like Jim Rome. Like, yeah. Or like yeah. Jim Rome. Exactly. Uh -huh. Hey, you clones. I have a bunch of cheerleaders dancing for me in the studio. You'd be like, you know, you're, you're a dick and you would just turn <laughs> off the TV. You'd be like, this guy's so sleazy. 
Susie Orman, though, has like the Dallas Cowboy Chillers dancing in like 10 feet away from her. And you think to yourself, money can buy happiness. It really can. <laughs> and because she's Susie Orman, because she's a woman, she totally gets away with it, and it doesn't seem sleazy. And I caught her with the biggest smile on her face. So, anyway, good That's for you, reason. Susie Orman. Yeah. All right. Uh, we should take a break. We'll come back after this. Around the corner, more from Todd Tulsa's. Jim Roop will join us as well. And we will have today's AM 970 listener bailout winner. We will have the uh, w- uh, winner of this week's AM 970 listener bailout. That's on the way. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Take a moment to congratulate this week's winner of the AM970 listener bailouts. It is Elizabeth West. Elizabeth West. So every week we are uh, giving something away to an involuntarily unemployed listener. Uh, Elizabeth West, you have won a TurboTax web card. includes prepaid access code that can be used for one free federal and state preparation and e-file. Uh, TurboTax makes it easy to get your maximum refund. Learn more at TurboTax.com. So congratulations again to Elizabeth West, who has won a TurboTax web card. Uh, it allows for one free federal and state preparation e-file. Uh, if you want to sign up uh, for this, uh, you can go to 970.am. Click on the big pink slip, 970.am. Every week, we are giving something away to an involuntarily unemployed listener. A couple other giveaway notes here, and then we'll talk to Jim Roop. Uh, we, don't, we don't really have time to start this today. We'll have to do this tomorrow, which means we'll have to double up, but that's Okay. Uh, starting tomorrow, this won't mean anything to Sarah, but you know what we're going to be giving away? Probably won't mean anything to Todd. This is like an in-between giveaway. <laughs> probably not Todd, probably not Sarah, but for Rick, this is very exciting. We're going to be giving away My Two Dads, the complete first season. Hello? Can I get a what? What? I've heard it obscurely referenced, but I've never seen my... Oh, yeah, with the girl. Paul Re- with that chick who's in that thing with yeah, the guys, Paul Reiser. Um... Uh, My Two Dads, which is a really underrated sitcom. It was quite good. My Two Dads, the complete first season on DVD, out in stores this Tuesday. That's tomorrow. I'm just going to read these copy points. Then one more set, then we'll talk to Jim. When 12-year-old Nicole Bradford is left orphaned by her mother's passing, Judge Margaret Wilbur places her in the custody of two quarreling former best friends, both of whom are suspected of being her biological father. Conservative financial advisor Michael Taylor, who is Paul Reiser, and liberal artist Joey Harris from Greg Evigan of Tech War fame. That's a little geek, a little thing my geeks in the house. For Paul Reiser, listen to this. Paul Reiser, known for Mad About You. Joey Harris, known for Tech War. Anyway... Uh, yeah, but it's the girl from Step by Step who's in that. Oh, and Dick Butkus. I, I forgot he was in that. <laughs> Promises to be fun for the entire family and for Rick. All right. And uh, finally, finally, uh, one more of these to give away. So we, we will be doing uh, this as well. And this is really cool. This is legitimately fantastic. I saw this on Bridget's desk. It is a gadget spy pack, which includes essential spy equipment in honor of Body of Lies. Uh, there's that computer stash card, which is a thing It looks like. You know, it looks like it's a computer memory card or whatever, but, like, you can stick your credit cards in there and they're secured. Uh, mini digital camera, voice recorder, door stop alarm, which is, like, 150 decibels. Like a door jam, like you stick it under there, and it looks like it's just propping the door open. But, like, somebody walks in the room and it shrieks like a banshee. Um, so that is all because of the movie Body of Lies. Trust no one. Deceive everyone. From the director of Gladiator and Black Hawk Down, the year's hottest action thriller, Body of Lies, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Russell Crowe, now available on demand. Order Body of Lies tonight on demand in HD from Comcast Channel 1 or download it to own from iTunes. All right. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. From Los Angeles, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. Hello, sir. 
My Two Dads was a whole season? My Two Dads, no, it was like three seasons. It was fantastic. And I forgot, I for, totally forgot that Dick Buckkiss was in that. I totally forgot anybody. Was yeah, there. My Two Dads. Uh, I, I, remember the, I remember the show. I remember Paul Reiser. And then the other guy, I don't know, when I said that uh, it's Greg Evigan, and they're like, you know, liberal artist Joey Harris, Greg Evigan from Tech War. I don't know if you know what Tech War is. Tech War, which is, that's spelled uppercase T, lowercase E-K, uppercase W-A-R. Tech with just a K, War. Tech War was this science fiction uh, novel, quote, written, end quote, by William Shatner. And, uh, and it was like, you know, that thing where it's like, William Shatner, with the guy who really wrote the book. And they put the Shatner name on it. And then so geeks started buying it. And so there's this whole series of tech novels. And I do believe tech is a drug in the future. Tech is some futuristic, like, substance everybody fights about, like spices and dune. And I guess they must have made it into a movie because it starred Greg Evigan, who was on My Two Dads. Jesus. Oh, there we go. God, you know, the, the things that I remember for no real reason. <laughs> and Stacey Keenan from Step by Step. All right. Well, there you go. My Two Dads. All right, Jim Rupp, how are you? How's your day? Uh, wonderful, thank you. Hey, so, uh, this, this Octomom. Boy, you want to talk about a woman who is instantly hated by the entire country. And then, here's the satisfying thing about the, uh, about the, the Octomom, is that she was immediately disliked by everyone in the world. But sometimes you dislike somebody, and then, like, you're never able, able to find any reason. We found, like, all kinds of hard, you know, finite, concrete reasons to hate her. Like the fact that she's 50 grand in debt. Or the fact that she put up a web page asking us to send her money and things. Uh, or the fact that she was apparently like freakishly obsessed with Angelina Jolie. Or the fact that she already had six kids, one of whom was autistic. So it's always nice when I find out that my hatred is well-founded. Well, here's the weird thing. I remember the day that those octuplets were born because it was the same day because I covered uh, that the octuplet thing, which was an amazing feat that eight babies were born premature and all came out kicking and breathing right away to that guy who killed his family. Within right. a 20-minute drive, right. you went from this incredible high to this incredible low. And I think what ticked everybody off, at least what ticks me off, is that we were brought down so low after that with this guy and his family <laughs> because it was, that was the only good part of that entire day was that miracle of all those babies being born healthy you know, or as healthy as they possibly could be at a pound, four ounces. And then it turns out that she's a nutcase, which I think, you know, that's in my opinion, my constitutionally protected opinion. Oh, she's a, she's, she's so far nutty. Uh, they haven't come up with a new nut yet to put in the planter's jar for her. She is absolutely, <laughs> she is absolutely crazy. And, and to, to, for Gloria Allred to represent this company called Angels in Waiting, to offer this woman 24-hour care, not only the ability to stay in her home, but care for 14 kids so she can go out and get a job and, and, and better herself or whatever it is. Uh, for her to refuse that and ask for a reality show in its stead. Okay, so yeah, so this is so this is what the prep sheet said. And Sarah was reading the prep sheet this morning and hadn't really heard the news. And I only kind of knew what was on the prep sheet. But it says, this says, uh, a high-profile attorney calls Child Protective Services on a tuplet mom, Nadia Sulman, as a Sulman re rejects an offer for 24-7 care. Sulman was reportedly more interested in starring in a reality TV show. And yeah. Sarah said, really, is that true? And I said, well, I don't know, but it must, like, does it surprise anybody? I mean, you know, the answer is no. I mean, That's you, what was told to us at the news conference in Gloria Allred's office, is that Suleiman, she was given two weeks to say, okay, I'll take the help. Thank you very much. Now, this help was going to have to come from us. 
we were they were going to be looking for donations and, right. and support from the people. And, and I think, you know, for the most part, because it's about the kids and about this idiot, but the reality show is more about her. And so that's what, that's the weird thing. And and uh, the the woman who headed up this Angels in Waiting thing said the lady that Suleiman missed the meeting, she skipped the meeting. She called her and said, would you be interested in, in helping me put on this reality show? And she said, well, that's not what we do. Right. And I, I, I'm i against it anyway because, you know, you're talking about the health of the kids. So, no. So Suleiman never talked to him again. And so Gloria already took that as a no. She says, I'm concerned about the kids' welfare because this woman obviously is, is kind of way out there. So I'm calling. Uh, she filed a complaint with Family and Children Services. And now, whatever the next step is going to be. By the way, I don't even think the hospital is going to release the kids to this lady anyway. Well, they still. Well, they're all still in the hospital because they were so underweight. Yeah. Uh, by the way, how great is it that I, I just knew when it says here? This is the prep sheet. It says a high-profile attorney, and it's like I immediately this morning in my head heard Gloria Allred. <laughs> like I just knew. In fact, I think uh, a radio term, a recycler. A recycler is a promotional spot that runs during the rest of the day to, you know, to tell people about some of the other shows. So, like, you know, in the morning, you're profiling, you know, you're talking about the promoting the afternoon show. In the afternoon, you're talking about the night show. In the night show, you're talking about the morning. What the, one of the recyclers currently running for this program is actually you and I having a conversation about Gloria Allred and well, how she's... not going to stop here. No, 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 how she's great and she's wonderful, but I suspect that she's got a set of retractable steel teeth that come out like a geeker <laughs> alien. Well, but, you know, but she's so great, though, and I'm so glad she did this. Well, there'll be three... I'll, I'll be speaking with her again on a different story two days from now. Oh, totally, yeah. Uh, because, yes, last week it was the Morgan Freeman. Well, I think that was an ambulance-chasing thing. You know, I, I mean, she got pretty ticked at me for some of the questions I was asking her. But, I, I mean, how in the world did this woman from Mississippi get involved with Gloria Allred to sue Morgan Freeman over an accident that wasn't his fault? Wait, do we have... Todd, do we have a little bit on that? This is just uh, Todd Tolstis here. What is the, do we have the little broad strokes of the... Uh... Yeah, I, I have that story right in front of me here. Uh, she called Freeman a perfect gentleman, uh, but she's suing him for negligence involving a little fender bender the tour in last last August. And uh, as, this is the woman who's doing this. Yeah, the, the passenger yeah. in his car, and uh, apparently a fire truck chasing celebrity attorney Gloria Allred held a news conference uh, announcing a lawsuit, there. and you were there uh, against uh, against uh, Freeman and uh, Damaris Meyer. Is that how you pronounce your name, yeah. Damaris? Yeah, Damaris had been labeled uh, as the other woman, and the reason Freeman's marriage of 24 years collapsed. But she says nothing could be further from the truth. However, she had hoped Freeman would have set the record straight by now, and since he has it, and since he has not. Uh, fire truck chasing celebrity attorney Gloria Allred and Ms. Meyer have fire, filed a negligence suit. Well, Freeman has never been one, and anybody who knows his career has never been one to address rumors or anything. He right. just kind of goes, whatever, shut up, you know. <laughs> but he does it in that great, well, some yeah. folks like yeah. to talk, and me, myself, I just choose to ignore them. Things aren't always what they appear, Miss Daisy. <laughs> totally. You know, it, Time it, draws it, out like a blade. I'm just trying to carry you to the stove. Yeah. Uh, I, I I think Freeman just, you know, he was in the hospital, too. They were both airlifted. There's no criminal investigation. There's no negligence on his part. He wasn't drinking. Um, they didn't say whether he was speeding or not. The accident was just that, an right. accident. It was a single-car accident. And my question to Allred was, well, what makes this Morgan Freeman's fault? Well, he was the one driving the car, and there are no other cars. All right. I guess that makes it his fault. Well, yeah. The it, you know, as you said, though, the great thing about Gloria Allred is it's just she she knows. You know what it is? She's like um, she's like a pop band that knows that the public will forget your last hit after about a week and a half, and you got to crank out a new version of it. You got to get a new hit out like now. Um, so 
Anyway, so she so and this Octomom thing is great too because the fact that it's Gloria Allred that you know that that wins maybe for, to a small degree that wins people over who just hate her so much because she can seem so sort of strident and off-putting, and then you got to go well you know she's not all bad so so then the you think that these kids are all going to get you know the state won't release them or whatever and then what if what if this doctor who is who is like doing all this jazz of injecting her with multiple babies or whatever? Well, there's all kinds of things going on legislatively right now to try to control. Uh, fertility clinics. I guess there wasn't a whole lot of regulation on those, and boy, did that be a, was that underscored. I mean, is this doctor just like has he already like packed up his stuff and fled to Jamaica well, or something? Or I don't know. He's I don't know if you ever heard any of the stuff that I that I filed Mm-mm. with me confronting him in his office. <gasps> uh, no, uh, you know the, the guy. You know, we were all camping out outside his office because you know, like, come on, dude. And every fertility doctor with whom I've spoken says anybody already with a couple of kids is discouraged from sure. these treatments. And here he implanted six in her. Um, and so we were going to ask him why. He didn't say a word, didn't say a word. He just kept walking. He was wearing the same clothes that he was wearing the day before when he showed up at his office. So I went up to his office, and I saw him in the hall. Uh, you know how you can look through where the receptionist sure. is into the, into the next level of hallway where he goes into his examining room or yeah. something? And I'm yelling, hey, doctor, doctor. And this woman's going, well, you can't talk to him. You know, it, it was just, it, it's kind of really funny. But um, th- this guy hasn't spoken yet. At some point he says he'll talk. I don't think he's going to. I think he'd be an idiot to talk. I don't know what his, I mean, his his business in Beverly Hills has to be hurting significantly. Um, it's it's The whole case is very strange. It went from such a high the day it happened yeah. to this incredible did you? Is it true that she paid for this with a settlement she got after working in a mental home of some kind? Well, it's it's one of the it's one of it's some of how she paid for it. Um, I, I think she's still in debt quite a bit to mm. this doctor. Uh, I mean, you're talking several hundred thousand dollars, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, and she had like fifty grand in student loans anyway. You know. Yeah, the... she's uh, you know, and 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 she, I guess she was on. She had she was getting food stamps, yet she didn't consider that welfare. Um, she's just kind of a weird person. Even yeah. Dr. Phil says, you know, she's not really in touch with reality. As the uh, as the shrink says in the in the uh, in the Terminator, well, in psychiatric terms, she's a loon. Yeah. <laughs> well, even, even her dad said something weird, you know, about her mental state her too. Mental state. Mentally not complete. Right. Not complete. That's yeah. what he said. It's like a cake that's not quite done. Who's a mentally uh, not complete? Uh, she's wow. not quite not quite baked. Sure. <laughs> I think her or, or fully baked. <laughs> yeah, if you know what I not mean. Not quite or fully. She's cage. She's she's blackened. She's agent. It's, it's crazy, man. She Jeez. just it's it's the weirdest story ever, and she just won't go away. Uh, and and uh, you know the 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 thing she did with uh, what's her name on whatever that network was, um, didn't do her any good. Uh, her, the fight she had with her mother on TV didn't do her any good. The fact that her parents are saying she's nutty isn't doing her any good. So I don't know. I don't know why she just didn't say, okay, I'll take whatever help you can give me so I could just, you know, fall below the radar for a while. And But no, she wants that reality mm. show. All right. Well, it is. I, I was going to make some remark about, you know, there's never a dull moment or whatever, but, I mean, that doesn't even do it justice. It's just <laughs> that this world is one big asylum. I mean, that really is it. Thank I mean, it's, God. You know, and I say, thank God for that. So, all right, my friend, if you're on tomorrow, we will have speaks with you then. I look forward to it. All right. Talk to you then, man. All right, man. There you go. Jim Roof, by the way, right below this on the CNN prep sheet, here's another story that CNN Radio is covering. I'm just going to read this. There's nothing beyond this. It just says, twins in two wombs. A Michigan woman born with two wombs got pregnant in each. 
and gave birth to twins. So there you go. Apparently there's some other uh, crazy birth thing. That doesn't thing. seem to make sense. I thought you were just about to break into oh. your Paul Harvey uh, rendition there. And uh, now, no. The, uh, <laughs> uh, it just says a, a Michigan woman born with two wombs got pregnant in each and gave birth to twins. Doctors say there are only three cases of the, uh, in the world of getting pregnant in each womb. But if they were twins, wouldn't they have to be born in the same womb? Uh, no. Well, I don't know. And if not... Twins confused. Are, are you really asking? Are, are yeah. They, yeah. No, I don't know. Are they identical or fraternal? Yeah. Well, now I don't know. Because that would be like two separate bodies. Usually, you know, like if you have two wombs. Todd? Don't ask me. I'm yeah, not I, a doctor. No, I, I got, play one on the radio sometimes. I got nothing. Hey, but, Rick, the, I did find... The Connie Chung thing? I did. So we head into the break. We should totally play that. Okay. Uh, that'll be the last thing we do, and then we'll break yeah. uh, in a segment. By the way, you totally nailed it earlier, and then we'll get some calls here. Uh, when you talk about Paul Harvey... Adding and subtracting sub- uh, punctuation. punctuation, and I noticed that I, you know, I kind of do that a little bit too, and I think I probably got it from Paul Harvey and the way he delivers the news. Yeah, because he'll do that thing of, and then see now I probably won't be able to do it because I'm going to be thinking about it too much. But I was reading that story about Mr. Balls earlier for the oh, Telegraph. Edward Balls, <laughs> Edward Balls known as Mr. Balls uh, to the Telegraph, just two years ago after they were introduced under a new admissions code, Mr. Balls has suggested the lotteries were being overused by local councils, and it's. You just have that up and down and the ebb and flow, regardless of what the punctuation on the page is actually telling you to do. Exactly. And he could get away with stopping and starting sentences virtually anywhere. Yeah. And it would be okay because that's the way he did it. Mr. Balls said that many parents saw admissions lotteries. There you go. Which were introduced in an attempt to break the middle class stranglehold on the best schools as arbitrary and destabilizing to their children's education. And it's that he totally does that. That is and a pause for effect. If you ever hear me do that, I undoubtedly do it because Paul Harvey uh, did it. You know, and I've talked about the, the, really the, the two big, three actually, the three big influences on the way that I broadcast were this guy I grew up listening to called Dangerous Dan, who was this top 40, rock 40, they actually called it at that point, rock 40 DJ. And his whole thing was, just talk like this all the time and whatever. And it's kind of dumb now, but that was a, he was a big influence. But then I, but then it was two things. It was it was Rush Limbaugh, and Tom Likas, <laughs> and the, then merging those two because they had this this great Russia that you know that has the, the bombastic delivery, and Tom obviously has a great you know very much like an in your face kind of a persona. And then you know over time, and then I sort of learned to relax it a, a, a little bit. But now that I think about it, there's so much of that Paul Harvey. His fingerprints are so over all over everybody's voice, everybody. all over everybody. Wow. Um, let's see. Let's do these calls. Then we'll play the Connie Chung thing. Let's see here. This one says Octomom porn. I like what I'm hearing. Uh, Hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. What's up? Uh, apparently you've stopped responding to emails. I'm sorry? Hello? Yeah. Well, okay. I, I missed part of your, your little, it dropped out there. What'd you say? Well, I sent you an email last week about this. Uh, I saw an obscure, uh, article on MSNBC or whatever. Uh-huh. What's um, Vivid Entertainment offered the Automon a million dollar contract to do um, two or possibly three porn films. I did hear about that, and then didn't some competing porn company offer her double it not to not to do a porn? Uh, I think there was. That, but, I think it was but like a follow up, or some guys like I'll give you twice as much not to get nude on camera. Well, the idea was that because it's a contract, um, she would have to do more than one film. <laughs> No, I don't think so. That's uh, that's a thing nobody needs to Does do. Does anybody need to see this? No. No, the answer to that is no. Ugh. All right. They were they addressed that 
that in the article, too, and they're like, but, you know, there's someone out there who will watch it. Well, there's a fetish for everything. Can I tell you? I saw the – where was this? Wait, where was this at that I saw this? It was at – oh, it was at the Wednesday 13 show. So my wife and I went to Satyricon to see the Wednesday 13 show, and there was this thing. It was I think it was a guy, but I'm unclear. Working the merch counter, like after the show, uh, there was somebody there working – Working the merch counter at Satyricon, and I mean, just a, I mean, I'm not trying to be cruel, but just a, just an unbelievably morbidly obese guy. I don't say, I mean, he was maybe in his 20s, but I mean, just just unbelievably, like one of those guys you do see on like a Springer show, where it's like, how can you get out of bed? I mean, just unbelievably fat. And he was, planet unto himself. And he was, yeah, seriously, like you expected Deimos and Phobos to be, you know, orbiting him. But um, <laughs> the but he wore this T-shirt that said, it was so great, he's this huge, huge, huge whale of a guy, and his shirt said, I'm someone's fetish. And I thought that was the best thing ever. So, all right, well, there's a fetish for everything. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. All right, there you go. A couple more, and then we'll play Connie Chung, and we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hey. Hey. I'm calling up the guy with the, the gal that had the two wombs. I guess it wasn't the guy. Well, uh, probably not, but that'd make it more even more interesting. <laughs> no, she was a woman with two wombs. That's another okay. Springer episode. Well, this is how it worked. They're fraternal twins, in case anybody cares. And the bigger child came from the bigger womb, but they were both born with tails. I just made up the last part. <laughs> and Thank you. This afternoon on Jerry Springer, two children with tails. They can't quite be human, you know what I mean? That's just too creepy. <laughs> That's fantastic. You mean a tail and a pitchfork with horns, that sort of thing? <laughs> All right. Well done, sir. All right, have a good one. Thank well, in you. order to be a twin and have the same DNA, shouldn't you have to be in the same womb? I think that would make you an identical twin, yes. I don't know how any of it works. Because here's the thing. Todd, one day Rick and I were discussing whether or not twins could be... Siamese twins hair. could be joined at the hair. See, right there. It took him half a second to figure out how dumb we are. Sarah and I were discussing it for like 20 minutes. Well, they're joined at the feet or neck sometimes. Couldn't they be joined at the hair? And then finally we answered a call and somebody's like, they just cut the hair. Talk about something else. And so that has become shorthand for how little scientific knowledge we have. Um, well, but see, because here's my thing is I think maybe Sarah's a little bit of it. I mean, look, it's a little different. She's a woman and all. But, like, I didn't pay much attention in school. And also, like, I don't need to know how a womb operates because I'm a guy. And also, I'm not going to have kids. So there's like three different reasons, you know, three different chances for you to get on board the womb knowledge train. I didn't need to get on any of them. So looking at this now, people, you know, say, well, how could you not know? I don't know how the womb and two wombs and all this ever really works because I don't need to. There's I don't really no know what reason. the womb is. Okay, see, I didn't want to ask because okay. I thought you'd laugh. I thought you would go, oh, No, I mean, on. I guess I have one. But I don't know. You look down. The best part is you look down like it was going to be outside of you in a bag. It's right here on my hip. Um, well, see, I didn't want to. I, okay, here's the thing. This whole time about the wombs, I was thinking about going, okay, but what is a womb? I was so afraid that you would be like, oh, what are you, a 12-year-old boy? You know, so, okay. No, Todd, what's a womb? A womb is where the uh, baby is uh, grows and uh, and becomes uh, but a newborn. But does it exist before the baby to a, exists? And you're totally using that voice like, well, kids, it's when a man and a woman hug each other in a special Well, way. as Mr. Science says. But, I mean, is the womb, in other words, here's what I'm asking, and I think maybe I'm speaking for Sarah here. Womb, that's not a scientific term, right? That's like a general layman's term. I thought that was just the air, like, yeah, but that's true. Like, does it exist without a baby? Like, do I... Ew, I don't want to think about right, that. Right, like, you know, in other words, when you say the womb, is that like when, um, I don't know, is that like, like here's it like, uh, like when you talk about, uh, well, you know, where does it hurt? Oh, my head. You know, and that's not like a sight, like your doctors don't talk about your head. I mean, they talk about like your skull or your jaw or your, you know, your eye or your epidermis or whatever. 
So th- is the womb like a catch-all generic term? Yeah, so womb, I guess, is the is your uterus. So it's just a, so it's a slang so term a for slang, uterus. Yeah, the Latin, oh wait, the uterus is the Latin word for womb. So she had two... This is a hollow muscular organ in the pelvic cavity of females. So she, she had, had two of those. Two uteri, I guess. We're such idiots. <laughs> you want to feel better am, about yourself? I am no help. No. All right, we're going to play this. Okay, so Todd told us. Here's what we've been talking about. We'll we play... might be idiots, but she takes the cake. <laughs> we're not Connie Chung. <laughs> so this, we'll play like the first bit, and then we'll skip to the genius finale. Okay. Keep in mind, as Dave Barry used to say, we are not making this up. This was Connie Chung's final, and this is not like a web thing. I mean, it's on the net now, but this it's was not. It's hardly on the net. It took, you saw how long I looked for this. It took me about 40 minutes oh, to find like this. like maybe Les Moonves wants it expunged forever, like he wants it gone. So um, this was Connie Chung's final television broadcast. Not like a webisode. This was her, her final television broadcast. It is Connie Chung in an evening gown. It's only two minutes. Sitting but it goes on. I, do, I would not feel good about making people listen to the whole thing at this point. I just wouldn't. We'll use our, I guess you can use your own judgment on it. But okay. So she's, well, it's not found anywhere else anymore. She's now. sitting on the, on, the, on, the, on the piano like the fabulous Baker Boys, addressing, and by the way, no audience. There is no audience, and the guy playing piano isn't moving his hands. So it's a backing track. So this is Connie Chung's farewell that she did on television, Todd tells us. Thanks for the memories. This half year flew by. My Maury, what a guy. Instead of asking who's the daddy, he could talk Dubai. How stunned were we all? Maury would talk instead of listening, unaware of the concept of whispering. And when he did say the right thing, it was so rare. Why should I care? I'm totally going to put this with the auto-tuner. Thanks for the memories. The thing I love the most about Hubby as co-host is all those other anchors were as dull as Melba Toast. The sports <laughs> really flew. And then she's rolling off the piano <laughs> under her feet. God. Thanks. For the memories, now that the show is through, I've got bigger things to do, but Maury is back weighing in, fat babies, how taboo, he can't get enough. Big finish coming up here, Todd. For the memories, as we come to a close, we say to friends and foes, thanks for tuning in to watch the con take on the pose. We thank you. Uh, 
feel like a better person now, Todd, for having heard that? Uh, I'm still recovering, <laughs> and uh, you know, looking at the two of you, both of your eyeglasses have shattered, yeah. and it's it's just. No, I feel like I've been beaten up. Oh, by the way, in, in uh, full disclosure, I should say, apparently that was not on CBS. It was on MSNBC. So there you go. So that, that was a parting shot, considering another network broadcast. Totally. So uh, there you go. So uh, that's one of the win column for CBS. That, <laughs> <laughs> that they dodged that bullet. <laughs> they weren't responsible for that. <laughs> they were busy hiring David Lee Roth. <laughs> All right. Uh, Todd Tulsa, ladies and gentlemen, we'll do a couple of these. Then we will have today's installment of The Greatest Songs Ever Made. Here is your express news for the day. Sporty Spice has had a baby. The Dow is down Ooh. to its lowest point in 12 years. The Northeast is going through a hell of a snowstorm. Washington State's new death with dignity law goes into effect this week. A woman swallowed her engagement ring after a potential fiancé hit it in a Wendy's milkshake <laughs> and wanted to surprise her. Surprise! Your colon is blocked. The surprise was successful. All right. Wow. That was freaky. That's like how real radio shows do the news. I Here's think. Express News. You mean, are you telling me that there's... Uh, there's no more on the Wendy's milkshake. Like, there's all this other stuff going on. But we're like, but what about the milkshake? Wait, and Sporty Spice, <laughs> Melanie Chisholm is her name. Uh, she, she, she had a baby? She, she's, yeah. No, no, no. No, yours was scary. No, no, no. Ginger, I know you know, I know you love Ginger, but I know you like scary, too. Uh, she is Sporty Spice. No, wait. Sporty is the one with, like, the gold tooth. Everyone, stop. I can, I'm going to explain this now. First of all, after Ginger, I don't really have a second favorite Spice Girl. They're all kind of unappealing to me in the same way. Uh, or appealing in the same way. None of them stand out. Um, uh, yeah, the um, yeah Ginger Spice uh, was the only one who, who I, uh, who's uh, Jerry Halliwell. Uh, she was the only Spice Girl that really ever stood out to me as, as, as being kind of, uh, kind, of, kind of sexy. The others were all, there's like Emma Bunton, who's Baby Spice, and what's her name? She's who, annoying. Who's, what's her name, the bony girl? Victoria Beckham. Victoria Beckham. I don't care about her. Posh Spice. She just seems like a total C anyway. So, I mean, um, let's see. She's a little pig nose. Yeah, and then there's Melanie Brown, who is Scary Spice, and then there's Melanie Chisholm, who is Sporty Spice, who I guess is sort of cute, but in like a really athletic. I don't go for like the whole, you know, the the whole, like the ironing board thing is just not appealing to me. I'm not really into that. (laughs) So, I mean, which is she's got a very tomboyish sort of figure, which I don't don't find that to be. I'm not into that. But, um... But I guess she put out a solo album. I guess they've all put out solo albums by now that, like, no one has ever heard. Or no one has ever bought. The only thing I ever heard was the first single from Jerry Halliwell's record, which was crap. So beyond that, I don't know anything. And remember when the Spice Girls had the big comeback? No, neither do I. I mean, I kind of do vaguely. Well, they were all, like, old and moms at that point. They were old Spice. What was the uh, What was that single they were using as a comeback? Wow. That's just like a big echo chamber in nothing, here. No one knows or crickets. cares. Nothing but crickets. And no right. one knows, nobody cares. Well, speaking of music, I don't know. All right, well, let's make a little segue here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll do this. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side with uh, Todd Tulsis. We'll That news lightning round thing is kind of freaky, That was amazing. Actually. Thank you, Todd Tulsis. Oh, you're welcome. You mean there are radio shows where they don't spend 20 minutes talking about one story? <laughs> yeah. How do they do that? How do you uh, function on such a program? That's, uh, you know, that's sort of really what the, what the network guys do. You know, do uh, like on KPOJ, for example, they get 90 seconds. ABC News gets 90 seconds at the top of the hour, and they go through maybe a half a dozen stories. Some of them with audio, and uh, some of them where they cut away to a reporter live on the scene of the train crash, and they do it in 90 seconds. That's inhuman. All right, <laughs> Alan. Any event. All right, it is time for this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Rick Emerson, and these are the greatest songs ever made. Honesty is crucial. Without it, even the most well-crafted song can end up as little more than artifice, a hollow, contrived exercise in style, offering surface flash without depth. Which is not to say that every song need to be a true story. It simply needs to come from an honest place within the songwriter or performer. 
for example, no one really believed that Steven Tyler's father, a classical musician, had a face that was scarred from, quote, kicking ass and playing poker to win, end quote. But you do believe that Tyler was painting a picture he saw in his head, a vision or a tale that came from a tangible place in his imagination. Sometimes, songs are more personal and offer a glimpse into the turmoil or joy or the daily struggles beneath the artistic exterior. Occasionally, one can sense an alternate world view of the artist, a mechanism by which they convey their own lives and experiences. Names and details might be changed, but there's every indication it's their story. Like a printed Romana Clay, a song such a song may take place in a totally artificial setting, but it's ever so clear that the reality is not too far from the artist's real-life state of mind. The artist in question today was born in Lynn, Massachusetts in 1962. He later relocated to California, and after being kicked out of his parents' home at age 15, dabbled in crime, drugs, and, of course, music, forming, in 1978, the band that would make his greatest impact. Through multiple albums and myriad incarnations, the band has created enduring anthems of loneliness, despair, alienation, and hope. In 1990, they released what many considered their masterwork, a churning, jangling, grinding meditation on hopelessness and the dust-covered hours filling a life of thwarted ambitions. Calling it a hard luck story, a forceful cry, a lament, a plea, and a folk prayer, the songwriter gave his creation to the world and it resonated because, for lack of a more elegant explanation, you believe him. From the opening chord strum to the last gravel-voiced syllable, the song rings true, and no one can ask for more than that. One of the greatest songs ever made. This is Mike Ness and Social Distortion singing Ball and Chain. Right. 
the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. There's string cheese all over the studio. They've then brought in a bunch of string cheese. Oh, so I should thank that. There's a listener who dropped off uh, a, a bag. It was like 10,000 things of string cheese. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Uh, this guy, I love people with their email addresses. I won't give the whole thing out, but part of his email address is I drink bleach. Good for you, sir. Rick, just checking to see you got this box I dropped off at the front desk. Uh, hope you get that cheese in the fridge. So there, he brought some other stuff that we'll sort of unveil over the next couple of weeks. But uh, there you go, string cheese. I Thank you, sir. Does this have to be refrigerated? And if so, no. how long has it been sitting around the floor? No. Oh, that was just since like 10 this Nah, we didn't. Okay. <laughs> By the way, we just played uh, Social Distortion's Ball and Chain there. It's one of the uh, greatest songs ever made, which is a uh, segment we do it every now and again. And I just want to read this email, because this email, uh, we got this about uh, got this about that. And we always talk about, you know, there's how, you know, you know, we're all just such music fans and whatever and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, all, all of that, all the, all those billion sort of magical things about music. And she's got a great little two-sentence email here about Ball and Chain. Um, and I have to thank, I, I should credit my friend, actually, another guy I know named Todd. My friend Todd, who years ago when I was playing that song, I'm like, you got to hear this song, Ball and Chain. And he was actually the one. He'd never heard of Social Distortion. I played him the song and he actually, we were sitting in a... Like some car, we're sitting in a car somewhere in a parking lot. I played it to him, and he goes, he goes, I don't know anything about this guy, but I totally believe him. And I was like, that's the thing. Tony says, Rick, Ball and Chain is truly one of the best songs ever. Makes me feel not alone, while at the same time making me feel utterly alone. 
makes me when I uh, makes me want to drink when I get up and spend my money on something I won't remember the next day. Just a headache and scars on my hands. Good choice, uh, Tony. So there you go. So uh, the magic of music, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Todd Tulsis. Hello there, Rick Emerson. This email says about Todd Tulsis. Uh, I'd like to go to his website and hear uh, his imaging uh, demo. How can I get there? Well, I guess you just, uh, you know, um, uh, pop up on your browser, uh, imagingvoice.com. Imagingvoice.com? Imagingvoice.com. And it's imagingvoice.com, and you can be, uh, you can do any number of, uh, any number of things for any number of uh, businesses. You can hear the Roger magic Rabbit. Of your voice. Oh, yeah. You'll hear characters, you'll hear Rudy. commercials, imaging, gosh, uh, you know, film strips, slideshows, uh, claymation, uh, animation clips, uh, Emmy award winning stuff. You'll love it. All right, so there you go. So it is imagingvoice.com. Yeah. Imagingvoice.com. I'm trying to actually find the the email because he he had he had a great uh, he had a great compliment about your uh, about your voice, but I, I can't seem to find it in front of me. But it's yeah, it is imagingvoice.com. That is how you find out more about uh, Todd Tulsa's. Yeah, thanks. All right, where how long do we have here? I'm starting the music in now. All right, do I want to take this last call? Hmm. I don't know. No. Okay. Sorry about that. If you're on hold, <laughs> I wanted to take the call, but I. I mean, we, we, no. you, know, you were overruled. No, uh... <laughs> we had all these nice things to say about Todd Tulsa, and what if that some guy is just like. Figure you suck! Yeah. Double booing! Yeah. Penis! All right. Uh, we want to thank Todd Tulsis, ladies and gentlemen. We also want to thank Cena Radio correspondents James Roop and Steve Kastenbaum today. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include uh, Don Taylor from Film.com. Uh, as well as Katie Darrell from TMZ.com. We uh, Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for AM 970, the talker in the newsroom. Todd Tolsis on the phone, Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, the webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, and of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan. Don't F with me, Reynolds. Like us next, Michael Maris Show at 7, Henry at 11. See you all tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Bye now. Now you know the rest of the story.